over the line! You're listening to Over Under Movies on the Playlist, and welcome to part two of our year-end episode. In this section, Octay, Eric, and myself will be talking about our most underrated films of 2017. I'll now drop you back into the conversation where we left off in part one. So cool, let's swing on to the underrateds. Uh, we'll start with you, Eric, your number five underrated movie of 2017. Uh, my number, yes, uh, my number five is Brawl in Cell Block 99. Uh, it's the second feature by S. Craig Zoller. Um, um, there's a lot to say about the movie. Uh, I, I think, um, other than, um, that there's really obvious things to sort of get excited about a movie like this. But I guess before I dive into that, I, I just, the reason this is an underrated movie is not because, um, it, it might need to be explained further because it's pretty well reviewed and like his previous movie, Bone Tomahawk, um, like critics that have been finding it have sort of been raving about it. Um, uh, or they find a lot to like, and they're like, who is this guy? Like, where did he come from, this filmmaker? Um, he's been a point of interest in circles we run in. Uh, and so it's clearly, like, known by people in our circle, but I still think because it barely has gotten any theatrical release, which I think is a shame, very similar to his previous movie, uh, Bone Tomahawk, they, they, they basically are straight-to-VOD movies that belong on a big screen, in my opinion, Um and I really liked the complexity in Brawl, Brawl and Cell Block 99. It's like a it's like a total throwback, even in its soundtrack choices, like 70s exploitation. It has like a 70s black exploitation soundtrack, but it's about uh, a, the sweetest psychotic boxer white guy ever. It's <laughs> it's such a strange mix of a movie, and I think Vince Vaughn's performance super complex and layered. His character is very interesting in a way I I was surprised by. Um, I think the writing is very strong in this movie. And then when it gets to the B-movie stuff, which admittedly it takes a very long fucking time to get there, I think it delivers in short, punchy bursts, uh, kind of literally. And um, <laughs> the the movie has some also shockingly memorable gore scenes, uh, again, like his previous e- effort, which was a Western in Bone Tomahawk. So I think this film, Eric, is very, very exciting I want his movies on a goddamn big screen. He has real actors working with him. Like it's, it's weird that he must have some deal where the distributor just puts it right straight to VOD basically, but um, rent it, watch it on VOD Bra- uh, brawl and cell block 99. I really like this movie. Yeah. I, uh, this movie came in at the perfect time because I was looking for like YouTube training videos about how to um, de de-skin someone's face off in two moves or less. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and then I watched this movie. I was like, oh, so, so that's how it's done. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this movie is fucking brutal in the best kind of 70s exploitation way possible. Um, uh, as much as I think of Vince Vaughn as, uh, you know, as kind of a Trumpster shithead in real life, um, he's he fits this role really well. And yeah, it has this really weird dynamic of like, he's a like, vicious vicious dude especially when like the the main plot uh kicks in where he finds out that he has to do something otherwise something's gonna happen to his wife that's when it turns into like 
holy fuck, like the the, st- the stuff that this this guy is like capable of, but you're <laughs> with him the whole time because you understand his motivation and why he's doing all that stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I had a kind of a blast watching this. Uh, I don't think the pacing is as good as um, Bone Tomahawk. I don't think the the two hour and fifteen minutes. It's kind of has a similar runtime as Bone Tomahawk is is as um, it makes as much sense as Bontemark did because the point of that movie was that the ensemble cast, you get to know these characters better, you take your time so that one of them, when one of them literally gets split in half, like you, <laughs> you feel bad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but in this case, it was just like kind of, it got a little bit episodic, uh, a little bit like when you get like introduced to every single prison that he comes into and that takes a little bit too long. And also like, I think that major plot point of, him getting that threat of like that thing he has to do. It was like an hour into the movie. Uh, it's a bit late to introduce that kind of like a first act plot point in, in, in that story. So uh, yeah, it, it has some structural and pacing issues, but yeah, other than that, this was like, um, this was just grimy and violent as fuck. And just, yeah, it's the, if you're a fan of the, like uh, really well-made artfully made, like, no fucks given like exploitation B movie. This is like right up your alley. I like, yeah. I liked it overall. I think I was a little cooler on the movie. I, I need to see it again. Um, Cause I think that last hour, it was almost like a hateful eight situation where like, I actually liked the build better than the thing that it built to. Mm. Um, okay. Because like I, I think it's super well written. I think Vince Vaughn is incredibly captivating and like you, you I mean, you can't really take your eyes off him. Like, I mean, he is front and center, but like, I, I never really like thought of him to be like that imposing of a figure. Like it's, it's kind of like a subtle transformation for him. And I think he's great in the movie. I, I think the, the prison stuff, like I think Octay said it, it gets episodic. It, it felt like it's not blade of the mortal of the immortal episodic, but it's like, <laughs> no. no, not at all. But it's like, but it did feel like a little easy. It was just like, you got to do this thing. Okay. Did this thing and then did this thing and then did this thing. And then it just kind of feels like when you get the big picture as to why it does get much better. Uh, and that's why I think I need to see it again. But for a while it was just kind of like, all right, so he did that thing to get to that prison and then he did that to get into that cell block. And then he, it just got a little repetitive for me. Um, but totally, I can see that, but I, but I definitely now knowing where it's going. Um, I mean, it was similar. We talked about Blade Runner 2049 on the playlist podcast. Like that movie yeah. played so well on a second time after I knowing know where right? it was going. Oh. Yes. Cause it was frustrating through some of it. And it was like this movie. And I guarantee if I watch it again, knowing where it's going, I'll probably have a lot more time, but overall it's good. And I recommend it. And, uh, yeah, it's like you said, it's a shame that it's just on VOD. I would have loved to have seen this in a theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Octa, yep. your, your number five, sir. So my number five is, uh, Richard Linklater's, uh, kind of spiritual sequel to a seventies masterpiece. Um, and, uh, it's called the uh, Richard Linklater movie is called last flag flying, um, and the 70s masterpiece I'm referring to is Hal Ashby's great last detail. And it's it's weird to me how, like, when Boyhood came out, everybody was like, okay, Richard Linklater is, like, the new cinema god now. Like, we're, everybody's <laughs> going to be watching what he's going to be doing, and he's going to have hit after hit. And the last two movies he made just kind of, like, just came and went. And it's weird because they're really good movies. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Every, I love Everybody Wants Some, uh, and I didn't love Last Flag Flying as much, maybe, but I really, really appreciated this movie. Um, especially, you know, I'm I'm as commie, pinko, left-wing, whatever, as it gets, and so I'm, I don't have this, like, rah-rah idea of, like, the, the troops, the troops, it's all about the troops kind of thing. But the, the respect uh, and the nuance that this movie has about, like, what it really means to put your life on the line for your country and the way that it deals with that in this like really level headed um, and honest way is this, is that like the kind of movie that I would like recommend to like for people who are looking for like, you know, you know, every once in a while there are like more right wing leaning movies about like how awesome the military is and stuff like that. And uh, if you want to really, I feel like if you want to really see like a respectful film about the troops that, um, that not about the politics of war, not about anything else really, uh, but just about like what people go through. Um, this is a great movie to to recommend for me. Uh, um, you know, it's a road film. It's uh, the the um, the acting overall, I think, is great. Um, Steve Carell, which you would expect, he's the, known as a comedy guy. You would expect him to have the more boisterous part, but he's the one who lost his son. Uh, at the Iraq war. It takes place during the beginning stages of the Iraq war. Um, and uh, so he's the one who's just like kind of, of course, understandably grieving, closed up. And then Brian Cranston is, Cranston is the um, kind of the Jack Nicholson character in Last Flag Flying. And he's the one who's like kind of like the anarchist minded. Um, and Lawrence Fishburne is like a, um, a priest and there's this great back and forth between like the nihilist Brian Cranston and the, the priest, like the, <laughs> the loyal priest, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. That's like, some of it is hilarious. There are some scenes in this movie that are like laugh out loud. There are scenes in it that are just like incredibly touching. Uh, there's stuff in it that just like kind of, um, really lays out what it, what it would be like, you know, makes you really empathize with like, how much of a different culture and how much of a different world it is when you enter into being a soldier. And, you know, like there's this great relationship between these like three old Vietnam vets and this uh, Iraq wet who was um, young Iraq war wet, um, who was like the Steve Carell's son's best friend. He tags along with them. And there's this like kinship as if they be they both went to the same war, as if they like they understand each other, they understand <clears throat> each other's culture. And there are like these great little touches here and there of like there's this beautiful scene where they kind of sit there silent in the train and they look at people who are buying gifts and going about their daily lives. And then there's just like this really quiet moment of them saying looking at each other and saying, like, they have they have no idea what it's like, kind of mm -hmm. thing. And it's it's just yeah, this was a um yeah, incredibly kind of solemn, beautiful, funny movie that I, I just really, really enjoyed. Yeah, I'm glad I caught up with it recently, like last week. Uh, I think it was the last day that it was still playing in theaters here in Portland because this movie has kind of come and gone. And uh, I think it's a symptom of putting it out at the busiest time of the movie year where, you know, the the studios insist and everybody, the major distributors that have real movies to show, like they just jam pack everything and um, good movies like this get lost. Another one that's worth putting out there is uh, um, a Scandinavian movie, a Norwegian movie called Thelma that's already oh, gone. Yeah. You know, you great. caught up with that. 
It's a great art house genre movie. Yeah, yes, actually, I should. Yes. Well, it was well reviewed, but anyway, I was gonna say it should be on this list. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Last Flag Flying was such a pleasant. It's just it's just Linklater man just doing his thing. It's not his best. It's like well above the middle of the pack for him. Um, I agree that he. It's too bad that this and everybody wants some was fucking one of my favorite of his movies. And um, yeah, you know, the, not not Linklater's just gonna. I think Ryan said it in an email where we talked about it. Like, Linklater's gonna Linklater. Like he's just gonna keep doing his thing. And hey, at least we got another good movie. And the, you know, hopefully a few people will check it out because I'm glad you brought it on there, Octate. Um, it's an. It's just a wonderful. It's what he does. It's a great hangout movie. And um, I guess lastly. I wish this was the kind of thing that Brian Cranston would be up for Oscars for, not that yeah. like Don Trumbo, like Trumbo bullshit. and shit like, like that. Yeah. Ah, oh, just like so boring. And like this is like he's a so, character. He's so lively and oh. so hilarious in this. Yep. But uh, everybody's great in it. But uh, yeah, Cranston, I'm kind of, I kind of am in the bag for that guy. And I think this is such a great performance from him. But, um, you know, nice little movie, man. I liked it. Meant to see it before a big work trip, went on the big work trip, came back gone from theaters so unfortunately <laughs> i have not gotten to see this yep. movie but i will see it the second that i can essentially whether it's on vod or however i need to watch it um i'm gonna watch it because love link later uh recently caught the last detail for the first time it's a phenomenal Oof. movie oh my god yeah. yes it's so. not as it's not as raw and just powerful as the last detail for sure but not many movies are so you can't yeah i wouldn't i can't I wouldn't, knock it for yeah that. i wouldn't hold it to that expectation but i'm looking forward to seeing it um but speaking of military my number five is <laughs> the wall uh not the pink floyd album but uh it is a movie directed by doug lyman that came out earlier this year uh one of two movies he put out this year actually um but it's a I'm a sucker for like the single location thriller, like the 80 minute tight runtime couple cast members in like a single location. So like this movie is very much in my wheelhouse. Um, and admittedly, so it's about two soldiers, uh, two contractors, I believe this is like on the, mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned Fla last flag flying was like the beginning of the Iraq war. This is like the tail end uh, of it. And um, two contractors played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena, and they end up in a crossfire with a sniper on the other side of the line. And most of the movie is just, it's Aaron Taylor Johnson's character and this other sniper uh, with a wall dividing them. And admittedly, some of the dialogue is pretty didactic at times, um, mm -hmm. but at least it has those shades of great. This is the movie American Sniper should have been like this. When I left yeah. this movie, I was like, this is the exact movie that movie should have been instead of like the raw, raw go patriotism version. Like the, you see the slivers of gray, even though they're di uh, didactic a little bit, um, solid, decent performance from Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I usually don't like. I thought it's he was shocking. Pretty, it's yeah. shocking. And uh, <laughs> I have to say, seriously, I won't spoil it for listeners. Cause I want you to see this movie. This has one of the ballsiest endings of any movie I've yeah. seen this year. Ooh, Holy all right. shit. I was, that was like one, one star added alone for that ending. Cause I totally did not think they were going to go that route. So, uh, um, yeah, that was great. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a pretty tense little white knuckle thriller and it, um, yeah, it just kind of came and went in theaters. Um, but, uh, I, I definitely recommend worth watching. And, and again, it's short, it's like 80 minutes long. So yeah. it's, it's worth it. Which if it was one minute longer, I think it would have really overstayed as well. Yes. It's that type um, of movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Like, I mean, of course with a movie like that, where it's just one character and uh, yeah, I, I agree with Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like I just pretty much hate him in every 
movie I've seen him in, maybe because in this case, his smug fucking face is like covered by dirt. So you can't like really see it. And, um, but also like, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty good in it. He's, um, you know, you get, you get the tenseness of the situation. It works as a thriller. It works as uh kind of, yeah, pretty much. I didactic, I would say like theatrical, like it's like, a, it's like written sure. like a play. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, if, if, if it was a play, I wouldn't, characterize the dialogue as being too didactic i guess uh because it really gets into like you know the motivations behind who's the bad guy who's the you know there's there's all this thing about like you know the when he gets this like radio connection by the way the radio connection with the sniper first time it happens that was fucking hilarious um (laughs) uh, that i was just like ah this is great like that's when i was like really into the movie um but yeah, the the radio connection between them and discussions that they have is like the meat of the movie and uh yeah it gets a little bit like kind of on the nose but um it also goes into like you know the motivations and at first like Aaron Taylor Johnson character is like you know you're a traitor we trained you and this is what happened and then he goes through all the lists of like why the guy's a scumbag and then he in turn goes through all the lists of like why he pretty much did the exact same thing um why America did the exact same thing that he's being kind of accused of and all that stuff so it's it's a uh, it's 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 fine it's i i really i really enjoyed it and as as far as those like single location movies uh go which is kind of like a genre on its own at this point um single location single character whatever um in that playground it's 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 a these it's it's a pretty good movie Eric, did you see it i haven't seen it yet but just based on what you guys said um i can't wait to catch up with it i will um like it's because on amazon this... prime if you have that I, I don't have that, but it's also, you know, I just I, clearly I've, I've made it clear. I use Google Play to watch a lot of VOD stuff, okay. so uh, I know it's there. I'll, uh, I'll have to give it a watch. It's worth noting. And Doug Liman, again, like still one of our underrated filmmakers, truly, I think, yeah. like making movies of a certain scale. Like he really knows how to like really knows how to ratchet the tension. I didn't see American Made, the other movie he put out this year. That um, was the other one. I was trying to think what, yeah, okay. Wow, yeah, yeah that came and went. Yeah, it did. It yeah. kind of <laughs> made okay money and then gone. Uh, but I haven't see, I haven't got a chance to see that one yet. Um, but Eric, back to you. Number four. My number four. Yeah, my number four is uh, Ingrid Goes West. Um, uh, dark, dark comedy, dark satire. Um, and all those things have to really work and a tonal balance balance, I think needs to be struck, um, throughout a, a movie of this kind for it to work. And, uh, man, this movie surprised me kind of every, every time an act turn would happen. I was like, this is really good. This is, I really like what this movie's on about. And, um, I liked the, you know, it's not mind blowing, but I think it has a strong visual style. I think the way it captures something that's been done to death in movies already and TV of like texting on TV or like incorporating social media into cinematic language. I think this movie does a really good job of it. Um, and in its kind of fucked up, almost taxi driver like story about uh, Aubrey Plaza playing this um, character that sort of basically falls in love with uh, a character played by Elizabeth Olsen, who's like an Instagram celebrity and just like, she can't stop following her and get obsessing over people. And um, that was what I knew about the movie before I saw it. But when I saw it, I was just, again, really surprised. I always kind of have my suspicions about movies that just deal with social media and that modern day 
you know, just like because everybody goes there, I feel like it's kind of easy and it's done to death. I'm always like, what other new avenues can you paint at this point? And this one does a good job, I think, in terms of where it criticizes what it's about, the the world it's looking at, just modern day people and like habits and tendencies, use of technology. I think it's really good in terms of being critical, but also fair and balanced and actually pretty even handed to all the characters in the movie, which um, I didn't expect it to be. I thought this movie would be more mean spirited. It's actually really fair to everybody. My only knock is the last five minutes almost almost fucked this movie up. Oh, not I, disagree. I disagree. I disagree. Good. I'd love to hear. I, I think the ending is not good, but if I watch it again, maybe it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, maybe I missed what it was going for, but I got the sense that it was a complete out of nowhere. Like, what the fuck are you doing this for in the movie? But um, I like this movie, and, I, and not enough people saw it. It was well reviewed uh, for the most part, but um, I think more people should have seen it, and it just got buried uh, in a sort of mild uh, summer release. So it actually had. Yeah, oh, go ahead, Octa. Oh, I was going to say, it actually had. Um, even though I missed every chance I had to see it at the theater, it actually had a decently long play in Seattle. Um, like there were a couple Good. of movies like that this year, like and personal shopper was weirdly that too. Like I remember that not being that financially successful to played here for like two and a half months. So it's like, good like i'm glad at least someone's going to see it or someone's at least keeping like one showtime around uh for That's it awesome. so yeah. so it did it yeah so but i i agree i don't think it totally found the audience it should have I, it's funny you mentioned taxi driver because i called it the king of comedy millennial edition um, there you go. Which is like along the similar <laughs> lines. That's I, I, a better. That's perfect. I mean, it is. She's she's like Rupert Pupkin. Like she like yeah. wants to mm-hmm. be the the Elizabeth Olsen character so much. And it's not it, TV. It's Instagram now. It's Instagram yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I, I, real quick, I don't want to spoil the ending for anybody, so I won't do that. So I'm going to try and tiptoe around it. But I think the ending is like quite fittingly dark to be honest okay. like i think i think it's i think it's a continuous yeah, yeah, cycle it's the, it's the taxi driver ending yeah okay, it's, it's a okay. continuous cycle for more characters like her to come out of the woodwork that's where okay. i see that where it's like it's just this like feeding into each other of uh the final shot of this movie is almost like you know that the final shot of taxi driver is yeah. just weird the look that travis the mirrored look yeah it's it's kind of like that. It's like the final shot of this movie, like just kind of communicates to you, like yeah, this is gonna get really bad again. Or the final uh, ending of King of Comedy, like he, ha- yeah, like with, yeah. I, I don't even want to even say the ending of King of Comedy because I feel like it would give too much of the ending of this movie away. But if you've yeah. seen King of Comedy, like yeah, that's like more people like that are gonna start coming out, and that's not a model you want to strive to look towards necessarily <laughs> and yeah, so it's, it's not really a happy ending and that's no i don't think uh, maybe I think for the character but you don't really want the character as fucked up as she is to get like exactly what she wants either right. you know, okay. for her to, for her to for her for the healing for this character to begin she should have gotten the exact opposite of what she gets and now it's i feel like it ends at a point where like things are just going to get worse. I think Birdman um, ends like that too, actually. And yeah. I, I guess I like the way Birdman, even though Birdman kind of the ending of that movie rubs me the wrong way. I think everything that came before it is so good. Yeah. It's okay. But Birdman has that similar, I think what you guys are saying, uh, depending yeah. on how you read it, I guess. But B- Birdman is really exuberant and creative in the way no. that it yeah. executes that. And I think that's part of the problem with this movie that I had was that it was just like very, it tells the story in a very straightforward and kind of predictable way. It's almost like a really well-made um, 
after school special or something like I, I know that sounds like an insult but like i i enjoyed a big chunk of this movie but it is it is very predictable i mean you can you can tell that um it's one of those videos that people share on facebook ironically of like showing like oh <laughs> look the, the 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 hot girl takes a selfie but then like you zoom out and she's living in this she's sad or something and like she just projects the best parts of her life or uh, in, in social media and that's that kind of like very didactic criticism of like what social media represents in our society and um yeah this movie like immediately i was like okay she's gonna go and like she's gonna obsess over the elizabeth olsen character and elizabeth olsen character is gonna turn out to be like her life oh it's, it's, it's kind of a mess too she just puts out like the best possible version of herself on the internet and um you know just like beat by beat this was very predictable in that sense but but um you know it's uh, it's a good start, uh, I think, to for for filmmakers to ho- hopefully like this will work as a jumping board into like more interesting, unique takes on this kind of obsession with getting attention and, and adoration online. Um, it's almost like a, a you know, there's this Black Mirror episode of. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, where um, it takes place in a world where like people give each other star ratings for everything, right. and it just it's about like how desperate she gets about like raising her star meter. And if your star meter goes down, you become like a social pariah, basically. And I'm not saying that Ingrid Douglas West should have had like a sci-fi angle to it, but um, but at least like that took that concept, and uh, even though like it's not one of the best Black Mirror episodes. That took that concept and turned it and added something interesting to for you to like mull over, and this one is kind of like yeah we already know what people put the best versions of themselves and their lives are probably not as great as it uh, as it shows and like it didn't really tell me a lot that I didn't already know even though I enjoyed the performances and the I got a I got a uh, shout out to O'Shea Jackson Jr. Yes. Yeah, he was, he was great in this. I think he, Wyatt uh, Russell as well, man. I think and yeah, I, 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 I think Elizabeth Olsen. This is another really strong role for her that she needed to remind me why I thought she was so amazing in uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene. I mean, this is totally different performances, but I feel like she's getting lost in this Marvel bullshit and just like taking good paying roles, but. Mm-hmm. I, she was good in Wind River as well. I was going to ask if you saw Wind yeah. River. That was good. Bring She's good up. in that too. Yeah. yeah. So like, I'm glad to see her getting back to like, oh yeah, that's what I saw in her. And I guess, yeah, the performances make this movie for me because O'Shea Jackson does some, does so much with such a sketched out, like the character's not poorly written, but he totally makes you want to watch that character for 90 minutes. And that is hard to do. I think in, what do you think? Like 15 minutes of screen time. He's so great. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Wyatt Russell, I like the even-handed approach to his relationship with Elizabeth Olsen. I thought it was quite complex and honest in terms of the ambition they both each had, one versus the other having a lack of ambition and not knowing what to do, whereas she is so driven. And um, I think that um, – not that that's interesting just because it's like a some sort of gender expectation flip. It's nothing to do with that. It's like – it's just really, I don't know. I think it's rendered in a way that feels very believable. And then it still works um, dramatically too for the movie. So yeah, I don't know. I, I hear you though, man. It's not like this is a mind blowing going to shed anything new. I just think it, um, it's a well-made version of a very f- familiar type of movie that's mm-hmm. coming out. 
Also, Aubrey Plaza is great in the movie, which she Mm -hmm. isn't always great in movies. So that's (laughs) exactly. uh, So, yeah, no, she's legitimately solid in the movie. Um, Yeah, it's I agree. Not like not mind blowing, but like I I enjoyed the movie. It's a very it's a very cringy movie, too. So if you like Mm. I I should be forewarned if you're like a really (laughs) allergic to that kind of comedy, like. This movie might like it might be a pain for you to watch, but very uh, cringy, but, yeah, yeah. But if you're into it, then oh, yeah. like by all means, go go for it. Um, Octa, your number four. My number four is uh, Trey Edward Schultz. Uh, it comes at night. Yeah. Which, um, you know, this is a this is an incredibly tense um, and tightly wound up film uh, that got kind of a backlash because people were you know it was kind of uh it was kind of marketed as if like it's like this post-apocalyptic low budget like kind of zombie film about this family like trying to family man trying to protect his his uh wife and son from like creatures or zombies or something like that like that's what the kind of the the trailer implied and it wasn't that it's uh uh but at the same time, I would firmly put it in the horror category because it is a terrifying film. Um, and especially, like, in my case, like, I can understand, like, when I was in my teens or in my 20s and not not really in my 20s as far as, like, what I'm about to tell you. But, uh, you know, like, enjoying, like, more traditional horror movies, like, with monsters and creatures and you know, you get you get your Freddy, and you get your like um, your more traditional like horror movie creatures and stuff like that, and those are fine. And um, uh, but when you get to a certain point in your life, and the the things that really frighten you, especially when you start building a family of your own, start to switch. And right now, like you know, something like, like, for example, like Freddy Krueger doesn't mean anything to me as far as like getting a visceral reaction of fear, but anything happening to my family, uh, some kind of like horrible disease, like the way it is. And, um, it comes at night and you can like catch it from like, they don't know what causes it. They don't know how people catch it. It feels like most of the world is just dead. And this family man who's just like kind of in this really like understandably paranoid space of mind where it's like, if I make the one bad decision, my, my wife and my son are going to die. And, um, and it's that thought and the central relationship in the movie between these two families and the paranoia that just raises out of that. And the uh, trade result does this like really creative thing of like, just um, squeezing the aspect ratio slowly uh to but to keep boxing you in and getting closer and closer into the actors faces and um yeah it's just this is a film that just like really affected me and terrified me in a way that like makes me like it's in my top 10 but it's also a film that I kind of never want to experience again because of like how much it affected me especially like the last like 15 20 minutes of it because um you get to the ending of this movie and like you start I start wrecking in my mind about like what other choices could these characters have made? And then like every choice that pretty much every choice that they make makes sense. Yet it turns into these like disastrous, tragic situation. Um and yeah, it's it's a really kind of genre bender type of movie. This year has been great for like really unconventional 
horror. And I think It Comes at Night is one of those. It's just like, just because it doesn't have the traditional, uh, you know, you don't get monsters or zombies or whatever uh, out of this kind of like post-apocalyptic scenario doesn't make it any less terrifying. To me, it makes it a lot more terrifying because you can directly uh, relate to it. Dude, I remember seeing this with you, Octay. Uh, we went and saw it in the theater, and it was mm-hmm. my second time seeing it, but um, we, we couldn't really get out of our seats. Like, we, usually we get up and walk and talk or whatever, but, like, I remember sitting there for a little, like, even if it was five minutes, it was longer than we normally do, just to, like, talk out, like, oh, yeah, and then the decision everybody makes. Like, the way the movie rings tension out of these most minute of decisions, of of word slippage. Was it a word slippage or was it the truth coming out? Was mm-hmm. it a lie? All these mind games makes this movie, for me, I understand. Was how the other family in cahoots with the people all, at the beginning? Right, or was right. it like, and it just gets muddied and muddied. And I love and, that you don't get answers to any of these questions because the characters wouldn't. And yeah, and the way the tension is wrung from such simple things where um, while I understand that this is almost like a, like an irreversible or requiem for a dream, like it's a one-time watch. I, I totally get that, man. I'll tell you rewatching it. I, I, um, I found it more powerful because I was like every little detail I was paying attention to more because I was like, yeah, there's no clear answers, but the movie's never frustrating because you know that the filmmakers and the actors had some idea of what they're doing. And that's all that matters. It's conveyed. And the movie's not about the things you think it's going to be about probably because of the marketing. I don't know, but regardless, it is, um, so it's honestly, I, I, it's kind of cheesy. I think it's like the feel bad movie of the year. It's like the one you got to (laughs) see. And uh, I would also throw um, the feeling of film. a sacred deer and well, yeah. yourself with that double feature. <laughs> well, a two four, you know, they they give you the they give you the, a lot of the bummers, I guess. Uh. <laughs> I, I got I got to tell you, man, I am looking forward to like as a fan of like low budget uh, art house horror, I am looking forward to a break from like children dying and shit like that in movies like this. Like, I can't fucking take it anymore. <laughs> totally understandable man jesus i need to see like i know you're you're sitting here going like i never want to watch this again i almost feel i need to see it again because it did not really grip me in the way that it did either of you guys even though i thought it was really well made and i think this filmmaker trey edward Soltz is like really immensely talented i love all the performances in this movie um Georgeton, Carmen Ijogo, uh Riley Keough. I, like, I think everybody's terrific in the movie, but there was just something about it towards the end that, like, it, it just started to kind of wobble for me, uh, and I can't quite put my finger on it, and I can't really do that without spoiling it for people who haven't seen yeah. the movie. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. I, I, re- I recommend it because um, I think it's a well-made movie, um, but I, need to, I think I need to give it another look here. Okay. So, uh, Ryan, what's your number four? Oh, mine's also a horror movie, but a completely different 180 from the tone of It Comes at Night. Uh, it's Prevenge. Um, this is the directorial nice. debut of Alice Lowe, who's uh, in Sightseers. She's in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Um, basically about a pregnant woman, uh, a widowed pregnant woman, who is convinced uh, that her unborn fetus is telling her to kill the people involved with her husband's accident. Um, <laughs> it's It's very darkly comedic. It's kind of a... It's kind of a cross between, I mean, Rosemary's baby is the only comparison because she's pregnant. I'd also say this is kind of a mix of that and uh, 
Frank Henenlotter's brain damage um, is another <laughs> like which like yeah on paper that sounds incredible right Just like by that comparison yeah it, I mean it's it. not as like batshit crazy I guess as like Frank Henenlotter but it's um, but it is like it, it's a fascinating little indie dark comedy that I think was pretty well reviewed but it's it's a Shutter exclusive on the horror streaming service uh, which if you don't have I highly recommend it's five dollars a month uh, for people listening like they have an amazing selection of titles check it out um, but it's uh, it was it was just dropped exclusively on the service that I don't think a lot of people have. And so a lot of people didn't really get a chance to see it. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it also like it comes at night. It does deal with death and it does deal with loss. It just, it does do it in a little bit different way, but I think it's pretty balanced. Like I, I was equally laughing at kind of how hysterical and crazy this movie can get. And I was also like really like invested um, in it. And Props to Alice Lowe, man. She was actually pregnant during the filming of this movie. Like she didn't wear like a fake like mm-hmm. stomach or anything. So like I don't I don't like I don't know what kind of twisted shit she was like going through that she had to <laughs> to get out. But man, like kudos. And I, apparently I, it's because she couldn't get uh, work uh, while pregnant that she decided to just like squeeze in this this production. And apparently it was shot in like eleven days or something. And like that that alone the fact that she got through that without killing anyone like in real life <laughs> is is kind of a miracle like i remember how my wife was during her pregnancy if i gave her like okay you're going to shoot a feature film in 11 days i would be dead <laughs> so um uh, so yeah that's that's big 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 props for her to her um i do find this movie to be really really episodic and that's sure. just one of the things that like kind of drags it down each of the specific set pieces are fun on their own uh some of them are better than the others um uh the one with the uh um one of the women from game of thrones um anyway that's like one of the one of the death scenes where she kills one of the women was was just oh yeah yeah you know it was just it was a little off uh but yeah there are also like scenes of like i love every single scene where the fetus is talking to her yes like, kind of <laughs> kind of like really like 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 a chucky voice or something like it's, it's hard to describe but like it was that was hilarious like the yeah. voice of the, well that's and what, what she reminded says, me of brain damage says. yeah 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 exactly what the baby the kind of like vile shit that comes out of like the <laughs> fetus's you know quote-unquote mouth but i mean of course she's imagining all that shit but um yeah it was it's really creative really like and 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 for some reason, in Alice Lowe's universe, the police does not exist. Uh, <laughs> I had the same issue with sightseers, where it's like you can just murder people willy nilly, and like there's no cops. No, you don't get in trouble. Especially in this case, because it I feel like the the movie takes place over like two month period or something like that. Because at the beginning of the movie, she's like seven months pregnant, I think that someone says. So within two months, and she has she puts in no effort to hide what she's doing when she goes into like you know, public buildings and straight up like cuts, slits someone's throat. None of these locations have like uh security footage and like, yeah, like she would be caught in two seconds in real life. <laughs> and like, I understand when you're making like a playful genre film like that, you kind of sidestep all these plot holes, but doing so in such a brazen way after a while, I was just like, fucking come on. At least in sightseers, there was like random dialogue here and there. There's that, you know, like they're listening to the radio and the radio announces like 
yeah, uh, police are looking for these the the these killings that's been uh, happening the last couple of days or whatever. And Sightseer's story takes place over like the course of a couple of days, so you can make the yeah. It was just that that, that just got on my nerves and uh, the episodic nature of it. But um, uh, she is basic. She is definitely like a force to be reckoned with as far as like yeah. original female centric genre filmmakers filmmaking is concerned. So I'm looking forward to what she does next. Yeah, totally. I, I like agree with both of what you said on this one. Like, I, I think it's totally worth watching. Like, I'm so glad that it's getting a shout out because this is like a movie I saw earlier this year. We reviewed on Adjust Your Tracking and yet, you know, I, I don't remember it. Not because I didn't like it, just because like, ah, it's just like too many fucking movies. So um, I, I like the shout out, Ryan. And um, I, I still like Octay. Just I was just there's I think it's fine, you know, like uh, but I do think Alice Lowe as like a force of will and a personality and that funny fetus voice like yeah there's some there's some shit worth checking out in this weird movie and um uh i'm just glad you also mentioned ryan uh, gareth moringa's dark place that that show is next level was next level amazing <laughs> it's so, incredible people, also yeah. if yeah. shout factory or arrow whoever we got to get on the horn to get a, a proper <laughs> uh region yeah. one dvd or blu-ray of this come on like i've been come waiting on. so long for that <laughs> that show is, is a masterpiece and it's, it's only six episodes long so oh it's so good so good Let's check it out all right eric all right my number uh three. number my number three uh getting into the foreign film uh realm here with nocturama which um you know did the festival circuit most of 2016 and then some of 2017 kind of i guess another example of what happens to a lot of um even good foreign films uh that just have no real opportunity for u.s distribution or even like a lot of distribution is that's their distribution now is like the festival circuit so a movie like this you might if you really follow sites like the playlist you're gonna hear about if you pay attention and read closely especially the festival coverage but unless you're able to go to these festivals or you live in a major city that maybe shows this movie, you'll just never hear about it. And I think these kind of movies get lost in the shuffle, even though like Nocturama, they end up on Netflix. You can watch this movie right now on Netflix. And I highly recommend it because I think it's a really uh, abstracts the wrong word, but there's an abstracted sort of um, telling of this story where it's about young people in modern day France pulling off a terrorist attack Um uh, and I think the movie is extremely subversive. I like that about it. I think it's really, really, especially in the first half, it's all about process in a way that I, um, when a filmmaker is really locking into like how things work in a, almost a clockwork way, um, the movie's incredibly well edited in that sense. And uh, the soundtrack is amazing in Nocturama. Uh, Octa, I can't remember, as we've been recording, you mentioned your favorite soundtrack for the year. I actually think Nocturama could compete, I, although mm. I forget the, the movie you it mentioned. It was uh, Baby Driver. Uh, yeah, Baby Driver probably wins because that's got a lot more. But Nocturama has a really sneaky pop soundtrack that I like and uh, a techno either score or they're just other tracks. But uh, yeah, this film is from a filmmaker that of his other work I've seen. Uh, it's Bertrand Bonello, sort of a an A-list French filmmaker. I didn't really like his uh, Yves Saint Laurent documentary, or I'm sorry, it was a feature film. Um, wasn't really a fan of that. I, I guess I see why people might have went for it, but I think he's sort of, um, I guess for lack of a better description, more of a dull French filmmaker in my mind. This movie completely changed my mind on him, and I think it's got this real energy to it, and then it's got this, it's a movie of two halves element that I really like where 
Uh, the first half is all process, uh, execution, attack, sort of straightforward. Part two is essentially Dawn of the Dead, where these kids hole up in a mall and give in to all their worst capitalistic impulses and desires until they essentially get taken out inevitably. And that's not really a spoiler because you know where this movie's going. It's one of those films. But uh, I think the point is made with many exclamation points, but it's made well that these kids never stood a chance, but also you never find out any ideology that they have. They just seem to be like knowledgeable of uh, things that are unfair about the world, but you never get a clear ideology from these kids. So I think there's a lot of things that are elided and not explained, but I love all of that mix in this movie. I think it's a really, really cool, cool film, personally. Ryan, did you see it? Uh, I did not, actually. I was going to, and then I I never, I not that I never got a chance to, it just things came up and I haven't uh, sat down Dude, and it's all good. It. It's, I missed... I missed most of. I've missed a ton of movies. I feel like already. Don't sweat it, man. Yeah, but it's 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 on this talk. It's on my Netflix queue, though. Like it's 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 it is on Netflix and it is available for people to watch. Um, and I will get caught up with it soon. So the listeners, I guess, are gonna have to take uh, Eric at his word. Uh, I did. I mean, I I did start watching it on Netflix, and yeah, the uh, the procedural first half of it kind of wore me down after a while of how like um precise and i don't want to say slow pace it's not necessarily slow pace but like it's it's very it it revels in the moments of like this 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 procedure that they go through like this like really intricate procedure of like pulling off these terrorist acts and uh yeah i got to a point after about like uh 25 30 minutes in where like i just couldn't get into it uh and then i was like and then they got into the mall and from that point on i was like oh there's only one way this is gonna go so i kind of skipped the last five minutes and i was like yeah that's that's what happens of course so i can't you know um yeah i can't really give like a um i shouldn't give like any kind of good or bad I understand, dude, um, because I th- I'm not surprised. I would think the back half would drive you even more crazy hearing hearing <laughs> your thoughts on it, Octa. And like, I totally understand the movie is not it's not that it's challenging. It's just that it it, it kind of has an attitude of not giving a fuck what you think about it in the way it tells its story where it's like, yeah, we are going to show you this moment. We are going to keep the camera from cutting 10 seconds longer in this scene. And like there's that sort of attitude about it. But like. Um, I think this is kind of a punk attitude movie at heart, but also done by a like a pretentious art house filmmaker. And mm. it's a it's an interesting balance that when I saw it a second time, I projected it at uh, at my other job and uh, got to watch it again. And really like this movie in a theater, I'm telling you guys, is like really immersive, all that procedural one step to this thing. So mm-hmm. it's too bad that they normally end up on Netflix for people to watch. But um, I do I do think for those that want to see more art house films or wish they lived in a – could go to film festivals, if you have a Netflix account, you do have access to movies like this. And if you can give it your time and, and focus, I think, I think it's worth it. Um, I also just want to say the Dawn of the Dead comparison, I don't want people to think that this movie goes into horror movie territory. It's just more like the, the satire element of Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. the whole yeah. – yeah, the all like consumerist capitalism thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, yeah, it also uh, it has an ending essentially like Captain Phillips or uh, this Israeli movie called Policeman, where essentially the governmental force is going to come crashing down and these kids don't have a fucking chance. So it's sort yeah. of a boring like they're picked off. But I think it's a really powerful statement because it doesn't really make statements. So mm-hmm. um, I like the film a lot, but I totally understand, man. 
Yeah, and, and I, I I appreciate it as far as I've seen the last ten minutes of it. How uh, unsexy the like shootout stuff was. Like it's just like Definitely, very dude. over in a second, and it's depressing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not sensationalized. Not so there, from what I've seen, there was stuff that I just couldn't stand, and there was stuff that I like really appreciated about it. So uh, maybe maybe at some point I might like watch the whole thing, but I doubt it. <laughs> totally understand, man. Yeah. So we're going so into number three, right, Octa? Yeah, yeah. I was just waiting for one of you to be like asking <laughs> that question. Oh, it's not of, like... <laughs> so yeah, uh, my number three is uh, a ghost story, um, which uh, you know all of us have that like uh, all of us ponder, you know, the whole question about the afterlife and what's going to happen and all that stuff. And uh, since we don't really technically know anything about like any possibility of something like that it's i just love it when um filmmakers and storytellers just come up with like really wild and crazy um explanations of like what could happen and uh literally having the dead wear a uh sheet with two holes poked in it uh as being like like a little like a old Halloween version of a ghost, like just kind of drifting around their uh, familiar area, like kind of out of time, like a limbo situation is as I, it's really daring and creative and interesting. And also what David Lowry does with that concept, not turning it into like a comedy or uh, anything like that and takes it, fairly straight face as like this somber story about grief and how hard it is to let go um, after death. And then it starts off as this like really personal story, almost like a, like a really uh, patient art house version of the movie ghost. <laughs> like <laughs> the, uh, you know, the Casey Affleck's ghost is, is, is sticking around and then uh, or sticking around Rooney Mara, but like he doesn't know why he's still around. He doesn't know why, like um, what's expected of him and stuff like that. And uh, it starts off like very personal, and then it kind of like daringly moves, slides into this like exploration of what would it mean to be out of time in this kind of like cosmic um, place that the character finds himself in in this afterlife situation and it just starts jumping back and forth in time and has these like really kind of in your face but but very very kind of passionate scenes about like what existence means what um what your like kind of like what co what consciousness means and where what time really means and all that stuff like gets into like really really heady stuff and just jumps back and forth with these, um, with these real, I, mean, I just find this movie to be incredibly just daring and beautiful and incredibly original about the way that it deals with um, death and grief and the possibility of an afterlife. Um, yeah, it's a, I wasn't a huge fan of David Lowry's first film, Ain't Them Body Saints, but I was like, yes, this guy, like, Ain't Them Body Saints was like kind of like a, um, uh, like a trial run for like other movies that he wanted. Like he was just like a technically very um, astute trial run of this like very simple, straightforward story. And then coming out of that to like 
Pete's Dragon, which I loved last year, one of my favorite movies, and Ghost Story is also one of my favorite movies this year. I mean, this guy is like is 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 really interesting and finds like really interesting places to to get into. He's a he's a pretty unique voice. Um, did you guys see uh, Ghost Story? It's on my top ten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. I love I love this movie. It's it's so masterful that the potentially the the potentially silliest scene in a movie where two people in a ghost sheet like talk to each other and and uh, subtitles it's come so up. It's so touching. And it's yes, it's so heartbreaking <laughs> and I was like this in the wrong hands this would have been the goofiest dumbest thing ever <laughs> and it's so evocative and it's so just like oh it's so heartbreaking. No, I I uh, I absolutely love this movie. And I've I've pretty much been in the bag for da- uh, with David Lowry since Ain't the Body Saints, as we discussed on a previous episode. Um, and I like like you, I loved Pete's Dragon, and uh, I loved this movie as well. It's like probably one of my favorite theatrical experiences of the year because I had no idea what to expect. Uh, also, that Dark Places song in this movie is so oh. aces. Oh, it's so nice. good. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your sentiments, guys. I think it's a really great movie. Um, works very rewatchable, and it's like 80 minutes long, so it's like an art house movie that has a pace to it. And it's a science fiction movie, essentially. It's a fucking time travel movie, and yeah. I didn't know that. And that's not to oversell it or misalign someone's expectations. That's what it is. But it is all the things that Octane Ryan said as well. And um a beautifully intimate, quiet movie that's so much bigger than I ever expected it to be. I thought it was just going to be a sort of, you know, in the house, but it so expands its world as it goes on. And um, love, 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 such a fucking geek thing. But I loved the four, three curved corners aspect yes. ratio of this movie. <laughs> and on a big screen, that image, that aspect ratio, it's sometimes I realized something with it. It's like, Beyond it giving it a sort of uh, – there's like those old photo things you could watch mm-hmm. through a lens. It gives you that effect that works well in this movie. I think it's a reminder of like why old movies sometimes when you see them in a theater projected on a big screen and they have that square aspect ratio, that square image. There's like something warm and nostalgic about it that like is mm-hmm. impossible to ignore if you like older movies or just have seen some. And um, that that's not that this movie is trying to evoke older movies. It just has – it has this inviting effect which is so key – because this movie would be absurd by most other filmmakers' hands. Um, uh, even really talented filmmakers, I don't think, could walk the fine line that this movie does. Uh, and it's it's really good. I, I guess my last note is, um, I, I guess I think this is his most impressive film so far. But I loved Ain't Them Body Saints. I think it was one of my underrated picks when we, on an episode from a few years ago, if I remember. Uh, it was my, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it uh, was. It was yeah. um, or no, oh, I, that's right. I picked it for a full episode. I don't know if you picked it or if we were doing the Maybe podcast. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, we no, did yeah, a full episode on it. We did a full it. episode on it with, uh, I think, Natural Born Killers is overrated, so people can yeah. seek that out. Right, right. There you go. Um, so, yeah, sorry. I didn't even remember. I just remember I, I love the movie. I love that movie. I thought Peach Dragon, I'm a little lukewarm on, but I think it's a really impressive Disney movie that David Lauer perfectly pulled off. I, the movie itself, I thought it was fine, you know, but um, I love this filmmaker and I think he's really interesting and he's only just beginning. Mm-hmm. Side note, he's an incredible editor. He edits Shane Carruth's movies, or at least he edited Upstream Color, which is probably the most impressively edited movie I can think of 
in the 2000s. I don't know. That's a big statement, but um, <laughs> going big, this man. Guy, going this, big. this guy's talented. This guy's really talented. I, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, yeah. I love this movie a lot. I agree. Yeah, check out his stuff. I, so, I, Ryan, I, what's your number three? My number three is uh, Ken Loach's I, Daniel Blake, a.k.a. when a movie wins the Palme d'Or and nobody gives a shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is... Uh, and this movie, like, admittedly, is, like, kind of a bummer also, um, you know, mentioning, I guess, in the same breath as the Florida Project. But there was something about this movie that, like, really, really drew me in from the beginning. Um, I found it to be, like, first of all, I, I, uh, if I remember correctly, when we first started doing the show, we first started doing the year-end episode. Uh, I think it was 2014. I had the movie Saint mm-hmm. Vincent as my number one overrated with uh, Bill mm-hmm. Murray, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and that movie's terrible. And it, you it's it, it, it based on your recommendation. Well, it's really <laughs> schmaltzy and really like it's it's the type of movie you would like. It has like the big broad emotions that and you it has would the expect. same premise, isn't it? It's, it's like the, the exact man, same premise. The old man yeah. befriends a younger woman and their kids. It's like under similar under different circumstances, but it's the same basic plot, I guess. And so. Um, this character, Daniel Blake, he, he's a, he's a, like a blue collar construction worker or he's a contractor of some sort and he suffers a heart attack and he can't go, he can't go back to work. And so they're suggesting like he's, he's talking with somebody to like get back in the workforce cause they don't want him doing physical labor. And he's, he's a man like completely out of time, like weirdly not unlike Casey Affleck in a ghost story <laughs> uh just like completely out of touch like nothing with technology knows nothing about technology like one of the most thrilling scenes in a movie I've seen this year is watching the Daniel Blake character just try and take a like quiz on a computer and it was just like he's just like so helpless about it and it's just like it it, it really got to me and and there's a scene and and I love like the connection the connection between him and the the woman and her kids like it feels natural and it feels like they come like from a similar place like she there's a scene where like they sidestep the thing that you would see in a movie like St. Vincent like for example she takes a job that you might have expected the movie turning that way but like it flips that usual monologue on its head that like you you know you shouldn't be doing that that's a bad thing you know that's we see that as a bad thing. And she's just like this. She's like, that's my choice. She's like, my kids have thing, you know, has food to eat. Like this is, this is my decision and you're not going to take mm-hmm. that away from me. So like, it, it does a really good job. It is, it is kind of a bummer of a movie, but it does a really good job sidestepping the cliches of the type of movie that uh, you see. And I, uh, when it won the Palme d'Or, I kept uh, in 2016, mind you. So it wasn't even this year. It was last year that it mm-hmm. won the Palme d'Or and it, like finally just kind of got dumped into some theaters and mostly forgotten about, although the criterion collection is putting it out. Um, yeah, as, as you yeah, that's expected. a good thing. I hope people like, um, we like discover it through that. I hope so. I, I watched, collection. I watched it on a plane. Weirdly. I know I've watched, I've had a lot of business trips this year, so I've watched a lot of <laughs> things on planes, but when I saw it on there, I was like, oh, okay, awesome. And it was an early flight too. And I was, but I was just so, locked into the movie from the beginning that I just, I couldn't take my eyes off it. So I, I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. Uh, I mean, I recommend it cautiously again. It's, it's not like a day brightener or anything, but I, yeah. I, I was really uh, Eric, compelled did you by see it. This? No, but I can't wait to catch it up. This is where I've failed as uh catching up on these things. I, I need to watch this one. <laughs> and, um, uh, do, do, you Ken... like, do you like Ken Loach? 
of what I've seen, which is maybe four or five, like um, more of the modern stuff, uh, there was a movie about whiskey that I thought was sort of charming, although it had a bullshit ending, uh, about a, a whiskey-like heist in a way. It's not a heist mm-hmm. movie, but um, I can't think of the name. And then there's one about uh, Looking for Eric, I think. It's about a soccer mm-hmm. player. Uh, some of these are charming movies. The one that I really like, actually remember liking is the Killian Murphy uh the wind that shakes the barley yeah. which yeah. is yeah. the other that movie won the Palme d'Or as well so this is a director that's like been beloved for decades and decades but has won two best pictures at the Cannes in the re- last like decade essentially so I like that movie for sure yeah I, th- I think it's just, the I Daniel Blake is I feel like clearly his best since when that shakes the barley and um I still think his best film is this, uh I think it's his first or second it's called Kess see that uh yeah and it's it's like it's it has the same kind of you know when you're dealing with a movie about northern england um working class characters trying to get through life and trying to find any kind of joy out of anything they can it's a cam loach movie and um <laughs> i think uh this totally fits the bill of course uh but yeah just like kez it's like this is a movie that has brimming with um affection uh and it has he has so much affection for his characters it's it's a film that that's full of like compassion and um for uh that compassion that human beings can have for other human beings and how like um like the 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 relationship between these characters, yeah, it could come across as like schmaltzy because they're like they're really there for each other and they support each other and they're in a lot of like kind of manufactured conflict. Even when that conflict comes, it's not hap- it's not executed like it's this like Shakespearean tragedy or in like some kind of way. It's just it's just a result of the circumstances that these characters uh, find themselves in. And Ken Loach is great in the way that he kind of picks up on these incredibly natural performances and uh, um, there are some scenes in this movie where you can't like I dare anyone to tell whether or not like for example some extras in a scene were just ha- they happened to be there or they were actually hired uh, you know it's just like everything just feels natural everything feels organic and it's just a it's a it, it's a film with heartbreaking scenes there's one scene that like really got to me about um the woman at the center of the story with with her kids and she's really struggling to like feed them. And there's a scene where like, she comes to a point where she's so she's literally starving that she makes this choice. That's just, this just heartbreaking. But then the people's reactions to that is just invigorating. It makes you like, um, yeah, it reinstates your, the fate that you have in humanity. And uh, Ken Loach is a filmmaker. That's like that. He doesn't soften the blows as far as like, um, the hardships that these characters face, but he also, he's a, he's a very simplest, simply humanist, uh, filmmaker. And this is, I think I've, I've seen a bunch of his films and as far as he's at his best when he makes films like this. And I think this is one of his best. It's really good. Nice. So yeah, highly recommend. All right. Number two. All right. Number two, Eric. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we don't have to like talk too long about my number two, um, only because I feel like in our circles, especially and probably people that listen to this podcast have like heard a lot about, uh, my number two pick, which is mother, uh, the Darren Aronofsky movie. Um, also I, I think it's, it's an odd choice 
for me to put on this list because I, I think we almost as a rule in the past have typically tried to avoid movies that are in our top 10. Although, you know, a ghost story was in oh, your guys. I, I, I broke yeah. the fuck out of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no rule to it, but I'm just saying we have talked about that. And I usually just, I generally look elsewhere for my underrated picks as my number one will, will prove, but Mother's my second favorite movie of the year, but honestly, when it's all said and done, I might even like it better than Dunkirk, which right now is my favorite movie that I've seen as I'm catching up at the end of the year. Um, Mother is a movie that, even though it has been defended, I guess, and praised by a lot of critics that I admire, um, I love this movie, clearly. I've seen it multiple times, and I'll tell you, didn't know how much I would love the repeat viewing of Mother, but this in a theater is like next level immersive yep. uh, movie watching, but also filmmaking that I'm observing. And uh, I think there's so much about it. There's so much going on about it that it is a kind of movie that pisses people off. And it's also so unsubtle and so batshit insane that I think it pisses it, it, it rubs people the wrong way. I get it. Or some people laugh at it. I think all of that, all of the reactions that people have, the divisiveness, the fact that some people fucking hate this movie, um, the fact that it's like gorgeous, but also ugly as hell. And that Jennifer Lawrence is doing something she's never done before ever. Like she's so playing a different role than she ever has. And I think she's really subtly great. And the rest of the movie is not subtle. She's the, she's the anchor, you know, that, that works. Um, I I love this movie. I think this movie is incredible, and I think 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people will talk about it as Aronofsky's best movie, I think, mm -hmm. in a lot yeah. of ways. I think people will look back and be like, I can't believe a fucking studio put this movie out. And um, while I'm really glad that It, which came out like a week before Mother, got was a big hit, um, it's not its fault, but that movie sucked up a lot of the audience that would have spent maybe more movie dollars on something like Mother. They probably would have hated it, but they would have went to that movie. But I think it just gobbled everything up in September. And mm. then the people that did make time for Mother, a lot of them hated it. And you get the F cinema score. And I get it. It's a movie that's designed to be like, fuck you. It's almost like a Lars von Trier movie for Aronofsky. But um, I think this movie is fucking incredible and I agree with a lot of how I interpret the movie. So um, I agree with like its message, like the, some people scoff at the environmentalist message. I think it's really well woven into a biblical, a very overt biblical structure. And I like the way all that works together. And then it's this weird psycho, like personal, like admit it's by Darren Aronofsky of that. He might be a really difficult person to be around. I think the fact that all that's woven into like, what is like an incredibly tense, um, immersive movie is why I love it. So, and I think more people should see it and not believe the anti-hype. It's actually an amazing movie. Give it a shot. That's what I say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yep. yep. It, it was my number three movie of the year. Um, nice. and yeah, very high. Saw it twice in the theater. I think it's Aronofsky's for me. It's personally my second favorite film of his at this point after the wrestler is still my favorite, nice. of his, but I, I would nice. put the second, I, Al, I will say two things that really all that need to be said. I echo everything, uh, pretty much everything that you said about it. Number one, I'm okay. If people fucking hate it, just don't dismiss it. That's the only thing I have to say. Yes. Like, just don't be dismissive. Yeah. Give it a shot. If you hate it, fine. But you can't. You got to at least acknowledge like the fucking audacity to make a movie like that. <laughs> also, like 
I agree with a lot of the messages in the movie, but sometimes uh, director's intent versus audience reaction is different. So Aaron Aronofsky, I really don't give a shit what you think your own movie is about in interviews. Sorry. But... Yeah, that, that, was, that was annoying. He shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have just he like, come out talk. and be like, you know, it's like David Lynch coming out and saying like, okay, this is what uh, Mulholland Drive is about. Like, he didn't do that. He just, well, you know. Aaron- Sure, I agree with all that, guys. I'm going to sound defensive. But Aronofsky's not David Lynch. He likes to talk about what his movies oh, yeah, are. He's yeah, not yeah. A subtle, I get it. Yeah. If that rubs you guys the wrong way, like maybe he could have shut up. But like, I don't know. I think he's a really intelligent guy. And I was okay with it. it maybe it just got war- wearing down because he did the, the... Again, this is a studio movie. So he did like studio rounds of interviews. So we heard this over and over again, sure. you know, his like his prepared statements. But... um. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know. I think he's not David Lynch. It would have been a better tactic to just let the movie speak for itself because it's mm-hmm. not that hard to pick up at all. No, no. no. He's not a subtle and filmmaker that, and never has been. Part of its, yeah, that's, that's part of his charm in many ways. Like, yeah, it's, uh, the message is not subtle, but you can also kind of enjoy is the wrong word to use, but you can also appreciate it as a fucked up, lucid nightmare movie. You can appreciate it as... Uh, just straight psychological horror. Um, you know, it is, it's in, no matter how you look at it, it, it to me is like, it's a fascinatingly daring and weird uh, movie. But like, yeah, I also appreciate like the urgency and the kind of, not just the urgency, but like the, the veracity of its, of its message and how like, it just like, like, it's almost like saying, yes, I'm hitting you over the head with a sledgehammer with this, but like, this needs to happen. Uh, of like, <laughs> exactly. like this, this is, this is necessary right now. Um, so it has that kind of uh, perspective, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate every single perspective that this, this movie has. And yes, it's not, if you know, if you have like kind of starting knowledge of the Bible, like it's, it's incredibly easy to follow what's going on here. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating film. And I think like as years go by and as people start to deconstruct it more and more, I think it's a, uh, it's going to find a bigger audience for sure. Agreed. So Octa moving to you, your number two, uh, my number two, uh, speaking about unconventional, uh, horror movies is, uh, Catherine Bigelow's, uh, Detroit, <laughs> uh, which I would, uh, kind of defend the, the middle, the second act of this movie, uh, as being perhaps like, as far as like the true definition of horror is concerned to like instill you with, uh, instill you with terror, uh, is made the second out of this this movie might be the most effective horror movie of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, that being said, I think like this, this movie is split into three distinct sections and each section is integral to, uh, I feel like, uh, especially like, white America's or like non-black America's uh, understanding of race relations between uh, black people and, uh, and the police uh, that's been going on far longer than the black lives matter movement had uh, started. And this is a movie that like really captures and condenses uh, this problem and does it in a way that's like um, just gripping, like in the best way that Catherine Bigelow knows how Um that uh, it is it is a bit of a like it jumps genres so it's it's I understand when people say that it's a little bit uh, disorienting, especially when you feel like you have this final like 
you have this release, you've been through this like horrific experience, and then you're like, oh, there's still 45 minutes to go, uh, <laughs> where it feels like it's the, the climax. But guess what? People in, in real life who will go through situations like that, they don't get to run, they don't get to walk away from that either. And they get to live through another whole different kind of pain as they start realizing that the justice is not on their side and they're not going to be um, compensated for the anguish and the pain that they've gone through and that they, they realize that yeah as far as you want the story to be over the story is not over um so yeah i i find that approach to be ex, ex, you know incredibly effective and i also think um yeah this movie i was kind of saddened that it didn't make much of a splash um especially in like the cultural zeitgeist about like how daring and in your face it is about like police brutality uh, and how it like kind of mirrors uh, today's society, and it kind of really, dis- you know, depressingly tells you that not much has really changed. Um, yeah, I found this to be like incredibly moving and beautiful, and incredibly disturbing and just terrifying at the same time. Um, and uh, yeah, I know I know you guys have some like uh, you know structural uh, pacing issues and stuff like that with this, but uh, you know just overall. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Detroit? Well, I think you answered your own question of like why it didn't do so well financially, and that like because it is mm-hmm. so like mirroring of today, like you see this shit on the news, and I just didn't. Well, I think the performances are good, and I think the direction is assured as it is with with Catherine Bigelow. I just I just don't think the 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 second half, while or the second act of the movie, the middle portion of the movie, while intense and brutal and and terrifying i just i just think people didn't want to sit through that well that is like i i think people just didn't want to sit through that to be honest i think that's why it didn't do so it was well. also a summer release too which was a mistake which, for this movie august bad idea mm-hmm. bad idea. yeah yeah and which which uh, yeah i mean i think that's that also kind of speaks to the visceral power of this film as well i think I'll I'll say uh, if I do you mind if I cut in Ryan or am I I want if you have uh, no, go ahead and cut in I just wanted to say uh, in addition yeah, to yeah. it uh, not the the in your faceness about it probably not doing well I think Anna Perner released this solo like it's one yes. of the, like the first releases so like they probably just didn't have a strong rollout strategy for it as a new company that's all I wanted to say so uh, I think that's ahead. a definite an, a factor in it and I think also. Um, Octay might have answered another question with with his point of this is so relevant about, you know, police brutality, things we're hearing in the news. I can I can say, though, working at two art house theaters just in Portland, you guys, there's a movie about police brutality and they're mostly documentaries. They come out every week. They're a dime a dozen. And I think people might be feeling probably like overkill on these kind of movies. That's not fair to Detroit because. Or to the documentaries that come out. They're all like valuable and they need to be told. But I can tell you, as someone that really pays attention to movies, I cannot tell the difference between these whose streets or I, I, um, I'm not going to be able to remember the other titles. But that these these movies with the same subject matter, I think there's a lot of, again, especially documentarians leaping on this opportunity right like now. Big budget, big budget studio, like sp- right. sprawling not, studio epics. Right. I don't They're think not, there are that many. Exactly. Exactly. That's the shame. I'm saying it's not fair. That's it's it's like I think part of it is just audiences. It just is an add on to what you're saying. Like, I don't think people wanted to go for it because it was so well done. The trailer for Detroit was so uninviting. It was harrowing to sit through. Mm -hmm. It's like a 
And that's, oh, that's, I love that. It's an effective trailer, but we were showing it in June and July when people were coming to see like the little hours and like kind of like bullshit comedies and shit, you know, like it's, I'm not, I, I'm all for mixing it up the release schedule, but uh, this one I think was affected for all the reasons we brought up. And if I can just criticize it a little bit, I think it's an effective movie. I think Bigelow is still such a good director. I think the performances are really on point. I have a few very big criticisms of this movie is like, I think it would have been better as a miniseries. It needed more time to breathe. I think it should have been five or six hours instead of two twenty or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think the script shockingly by Mark bowl is like the huge problem of this movie condensing what it condenses. I felt confused as to the leaps forwards that it did sometimes. And then also there's just a few instances that still irk me. And when I think about them of like a modern viewpoint on a past situation where it feels incredibly false. It could have happened like this, but in the movie, there's a scene where one of the uh, black musicians escapes the horrific scene going on in the middle, this cop abuse that's going on. He runs away. He Mm. runs into another white cop two blocks down the street. And thankfully a sense of balance is created in the movie. This cop is a good guy, wants to help him. But the movie takes it like three steps too far where he literally says something like, who could do this to a person? And I was like, really? Like, did you need to, did you need to not? It's like, I was yeah, just talking. I, I don't know about that line, but apparently that, that, apparently that really happened. And okay. Did he literally say that line no, to I, him? I don't know. That's my <laughs> point. It's the execution of a real, it's like, it's that thing that I'm not saying this is what you're saying, Octay, but people will be like, but it's based on a true story. So it's still executed poorly mm. in that scene. It's not. No, well no, I understand it's, it's, it's coming off as like, okay, we've been shitting on the police for so long that like, you know, just and to I show like that, that there are some, there are some good ones kind I of like balance. a balance, but I don't, um, you can tell they don't, I don't, really I don't begrudge that movie for that moment because of like how, because it is a studio film and because of its budget and everything. I'm like, it's meant for like mainstream consumption. Okay, but dude, and, why do they have to talk down to them like that? Treat people like the smart people they are. I think it, yeah. that is the audience is dumb. And I believe that's a cynical t- style of filmmaking. And I like a more optimistic viewpoint. I'm not, again, I'm not saying you think yeah. this. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking like, if it's, if it's a matter of like the trade off of like, maybe the studio was like, okay, you have to have like one scene where the cop right. is like super generous and nice. If you want to, be really really as brutal as you want to these other like police officers who just like willy-nilly shoot black people and mainly because they're just their egos can't handle seeing black men with uh white girls right Uh, there's so so much of that going on that's so dynamic complex and interesting in that this movie, you know, and I liked that stuff for the most part. I think it's, it's, it's a, like a, a like, like a studio push to me to be just like just so we can like avoid, um, you know, that that much controversy. Uh, let's just put in a scene where a cop's being a decent person, which I mean happens here and there. Like his, um, uh, the uh, the one of the cops, like the, the cops, like uh, superior is the one who just like does the right thing and you know all that stuff. So it's that it's. Was much that was handled. Yeah, that, that was handled better. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's I I I give it that. I'm like it's it's if the, if that was the trade off, I'm glad that we got the rest of the story the way it's uh, presented. I just I, I I echo the sentiment of like the movie just tries to cover too much ground. I think I even wrote that in my review that like this should have been much longer. 
like like a mini series or it would have been like, great if it was like a David. I mean, I, Catherine Bigelow, I wish could have made it and in yeah, Mark Bolt, like on it, HBO like, or something. It would yes, have been awesome. Oh the 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 problem for me too is like it, it's like I have structural issues with I have structural issues with the movie, uh, but also like there are like there are too many characters and there are too many like there's interesting characters that I feel like don't get the time to shine like they initially are set up like the john boyega character yes. i thought it was really fascinating and like that set up a really complicated dynamic when he's at work that night he goes to the other cop or the other security guard to give him coffee like to try and extend to olive branch out and like their like exchange is interesting but then when the actual incident in algiers goes down it's like he's super like passive like it just feels like the scene didn't they didn't know what to do with that character in that moment like mm-hmm. it just it just feels kind of falls off also or he, or he he also didn't know what to do either i mean it's possible it, like, it's definitely possible i'm just saying what like what seemed to be going on in the frame to me and that's like that he definitely seemed like he didn't know what was going on but it just his placement seemed weird like from a shot standpoint to me and then there's there was a scene like the, the scene when the cop's lawyer bursts in unexpectedly and it's John Krasinski. It took me out of the fucking movie. I expected him to look into the camera. Like I I expected him to look at the camera like he was Jim and just kind of give like a shrug like that. (laughs) It was so off putting. And it like, but there, there there was just enough Krasinski in that movie to (laughs) see. I have no problem with Krasinski. It's just, it's just the way that like, it's like docudrama E. And so it's like to have that just a, sudden character kind of burst in and it's somebody who you clearly recognize he also uh, doesn't look like he's from the 60s i'm sorry i like i like him f- fine but he doesn't look like he belongs in the era <laughs> i think i don't yeah uh, and that's just a small thing it was just like i remember that scene specifically because it took me so out of the movie at that point yeah. uh i think it's a movie yeah, I, I think I, it's a I movie worth seeing yeah, like, like i was just saying yeah. i think it's a movie worth watching i think it's a movie worth reckoning with um yep. a, like absolutely uh it just it didn't quite do it for me as much as it did for you i know it was on your top 10 and, and you loved mm-hmm. the movie a lot and i yeah i i would say definitely see it like seek it out like if, if nothing else for the performances and for bigelow's direction alone like it's it's kind of yeah you should see it i just um i, I understand the the comment about like maybe it would have worked better as a miniseries but like um i i think it would have lost a lot of its momentum because it's, it's like such a strictly split three act structure that I don't know how you would like would would the Algiers stuff take place during like episode two and three and like you know would you like I don't know how that would have um it would have worked. Uh I, I do think you get just enough information that's necessary for you to just like basically understand uh what's going on at any time. Uh the you know if people say that the okay the third act is a little bit rushed but then at the same time, there are also some people who say, like, ah, it drags on because you just want that experience to be over. Um, right. But, you know, at the same time, I think it's it's um, it's paced really well in the way that, like, uh, maybe, like, the, the, like, the speedy, like, the super fast uh, turnaround of um, events like this and the aftermath of, of something like this that happens where it's like, well, yeah, you know, the... the Black people were had criminal backgrounds anyway, so they probably deserve to get shot, and we're not going to take their word over the cops, and, uh, you know, the case is dismissed. And it just 
pretty much happens like that quickly. And um, mm -hmm. so I think it, it's it's kind of like that. But yeah, I, I see that like, you know, Catherine Bigelow probably wasn't going to make like a three and a half hour movie and probably couldn't. Um, and as a miniseries, I don't see how, like, I honestly don't see how you could apply that, the immediacy of the second act, especially to that mm -hmm. kind of a structure. So it's a, um, it's a kind of a damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of situation, I guess. But I, I love the, uh, the way it's structured and the way it's uh, set up. And like, uh, I would be, and also I'm, I would be honest in the way that I would say that I would overlook some of its, um, nitpicky uh details or problems that it might have because of like the immediacy and the power of it. Um, totally when you're in the experience of something like that you know you tend to overlook the flaws more than you would otherwise so no yeah i'm with, I'm with you yeah, yeah. i'm with you totally yeah uh so uh ryan what's your number two uh my number two is this little movie called the lovers um which like it, it came to theaters but it, it didn't play super long uh, it's a movie by this director, either Aziel or Aziel Jacobs. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, mm -hmm. But it stars Tracy Letts and Deborah Winger as a middle-aged couple, middle-aged married couple who've drifted apart. They have they have separate lovers. They're both sleeping with somebody else uh, behind each other's backs. and uh, And then they slowly start to find themselves kind of falling back in love with each other and i think it's a really sweet movie and it's also like it doesn't feel like a completely false movie like i was reminded of uh what was that nancy myers movie um it's complicated the, the one with like <laughs> meryl streep and alec baldwin like it was like, it's like the the indie more realistic version of that and i love how like this movie <coughs> is super like super in the perspective of the two characters because you get the sense early on in this movie that they have fallen, they've drifted out of love, and then they're with these other partners, each of them, and they're kind of like they're kind of needy, and they're kind of like almost like frustratingly so. And you and you wonder like it, on the surface, you're like, why would they be with them? Like, what could have like happened so much? But like, you get the sense that maybe they've been with these other like couple like the other person so long that they they that the flame has started to go out of that relationship and then it just kind of circles back with each other um but i i thought it was a very like touching movie i think deborah winger and tracy letts are terrific tracy letts is like i'm glad he's doing more acting um yes. because he is he can be good i mean he's great in ladybird um yes. and he's terrific in this movie as well he, um, he's really good in the post too i still haven't seen it um but I am excited to see it. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah. It, it, I thought this was just like, it was a charming little movie that uh, I, I feel like it, it was pretty well reviewed, but it, I think it did okay financially. It was an A24 movie, um, but it was like one of their smaller movies that they just kind of put out in the summer and it kind of came and went. Uh, Eric, did yeah. you see it? I, I haven't yet, but this is the one out of like, uh, there's a lot I have to catch up uh, from your guys's list, but uh, this is the one I really, really want to. I mean, I, I've tended to like or love most A24 releases in general, but um, also, yeah, uh, Deborah Winger. I want to see her in a movie again. She's so good and, too. Uh, oh, great, it? great. Yeah. And Tracy Letts, as you said, he's he's so great in Lady Bird, and um, very excited to see. He was great in a movie called Christine last year, and I'm mm -hmm. really liking seeing him. So yeah, just need to catch up with this one for sure. Did you see, um, Eric, did you see this uh, the, uh, the director's, uh, Azazel Jacobs' uh, previous film, Terry? No, but I remember that getting 
pretty good reviews too in our circles. I just, uh, yeah, haven't seen it. Yeah, he's a. This guy's interesting. I mean, okay. I, I don't think he's made a film that I truly kind of on board with yet. But uh, he has a really interesting, unique approach to um, the nature of attraction in many ways. And this movie is about like the the kind of roller coaster nature of uh, attraction and um, that people go through. Like, uh, it just feels like yeah, these. This married couple has fallen out of love with each other and have been cheating on one another with these people. But then at the same time, the people that they're cheating on with, it's been going on for so long that they almost it's almost like they get trapped into the uh, the boredom of that relationship. And those relationships kind of turn into like a traditional married relationships, it feels like. And uh, yeah, and their their lovers are... Um, kind of pressuring them to get a divorce and right in the middle of that they this spark happens between that and um yeah it's 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 interesting that the way it deals with like the nature of relationships i just found these the character themselves to be um unlikable in a pretty um depthless way i, w- I would say like it's just that they didn't it was like you get the what there's what their kind of neuroses is is that they they find the only time they find any kind of excitement out of life at least when it comes to relationships is when they're um uh when there's a kind of danger involved of getting caught or uh anything like that and then once you get to the the point where it's like that becomes like oh okay i see what's going on now that's um they're bored with their um with the people that they're sleeping with. So they're now it's the married, married couple is sleeping with each other as a way to almost spice up like the, the uh, cause they don't tell their, the people that they're having the affair with, they don't tell them that, you know, Oh, I'm having sex with my husband or I'm having sex with my actual wife. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it gets interesting in those sense. Um, I think the film doesn't have this like kind of, on the surface, it doesn't have this like really um, kind of positive outlook on these characters in a way that like it deals with like there are some scenes where they like flat out agree, like flat out admit that they're bad people. Uh, but at the same time, like I thought the this this lush Hollywood score, this lush old Hollywood like score, loved but, like, that. Uh, it was it was it, it felt atonal. It felt like it was like uh, almost like the a similar score in like I love you daddy it, it it felt like maybe I mean this was much better than that for sure but um <laughs> but in a um in a way that that felt like uh yeah I'm trying to subvert the idea of that that lush Hollywood old Hollywood feel but then like when you hear that move music you can't help but feel like you're supposed to kind of be on board with these characters happiness and I just like you know I just wasn't on board with these characters for of course obvious reasons because they're basically like they're cheating scumbags uh and the ending kind of solidifies that in a really like kind of not an annoying way like i'm annoyed at the characters but at the same time we're like yeah what the fuck did you expect was gonna happen like it just has this like very um that's pretty much the only way those characters would um was going we're going to end up uh so i'm a little little uh mixed on it uh it's a it's an interesting 
approach to this kind of story. That's fair. I think the only diff, like the biggest difference is I, I was fascinated by the characters. Like I found them mm-hmm. interesting and despite, you know, whatever their shortcomings, but I feel like the movie wasn't shy about their shortcomings either. And so like, mm-hmm. not that it excuses it. It just like, I was like, Oh, they're, they're given some depth. So I, I, I liked it about that, but um, yeah. Yeah. So we're we're here. It's been Number a long we're, it's been a long road, gentlemen. But we have we have made <laughs> so it. So tired. We're gonna get there. <laughs> Eric, let's start with you, man. Your number one underrated movie. Oh man, my number one is the movie. My my number one most underrated movie of the year is the one that nobody likes. It's the kid that doesn't get invited <laughs> at the jungle gym or doesn't get invited to play dodgeball. This is the like bastard stepchild of 2017. Um, I'm going to keep delaying the title. This movie also had a level of art house or cinephile anticipation. That's usually reserved. I think for like, you know, like uh, Tarantino movies or things like that. Like maybe not quite to that level of mass or uh, wider appeal, but there were a lot of people looking forward to the next movie from Anna Lily Amir Poor, who made A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is such a rad, cool, moody, wonderfully soundtracked uh, vampire movie. Uh, stylish, all the things, you know, there's like a lot of cool stuff going on about that movie. Um, and then comes The Bad Batch. You don't see things how they are. You only see things as you are. I don't care. I hate you get it and it didn't have a very good i think it did okay when it premiered i think at venice or something like that it might have won an award but it definitely got mixed reviews but when it got released this summer which actually i think this was an awesome idea for a indie summer release movie personally um even though most people hated it uh i think it's a perfect time of year to put it out and I think this movie is like, I want to be friends with this movie. What can I say, guys? <laughs> I, I want to be friends with this movie. Everybody kind of hates this. Per- this movie is Tommy Wiseau and the disaster artist. Nobody wants to fucking hang out with this movie. I'll be Greg Sestero to this movie. Like, I <laughs> I like The Bad Batch. I've seen it twice. I saw it in a theater. I saw it on my laptop. I liked it both times. In a theater, this movie's kind of awesome. And yes, it's a huge fucking mess. It's so <laughs> atonal is a good word to use for this movie. They're there's so much randomness in it. It's it, but it's um, I locked in. I liked the movie when I saw it the first time, but when I listened to uh, Anna Amir, uh, Anna Lily Amir Poor talk on film spotting, she she just solidified it when she said she was kind of looking to make like her El Topo, like a a Yodorowsky movie. And I'm not saying she achieved anything on that level, but that makes sense. This movie is messy as fuck, and it's operating on a mood and um indulgent level that Yodorowsky always did at his best. And um, I like this movie. I want to be friends with it. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> there is no shame in that, sir. And I applaud <laughs> you for doing so. I uh, was mixed on the movie. I did not hate it, though. I, I can admit that. I think I, I never always like to use another critic to reflect like what I thought, but I'm going to go ahead and do that because I don't think anybody summed it up better, summed my feelings up better. Speaking of film spotting, uh, they reviewed this on Film Spotting SVU, yeah. Streaming Video Unit, uh, Matt yes. Singer and Allison Wilmore. Matt Singer yes. hated it. Allison Wilmore mixed on it. Yeah, yes. had the best thing. She's like, when no one speaks in this movie and it's just on mood and imagery alone, the mm-hmm. movie sings. 
anytime someone opens their mouth, it yep. dies on impact. And that's I would yep. disagree only in when Keanu Reeves speaks. I'm all in. I'll, on I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give you that. He's Keanu great. is great. I yeah, love... but he's not in it that much. Yes, but he's great when he is. Yeah, <laughs> I give you that. I love the scene. I do like the scene where he's speaking on top of the bus that Diego Luna is spinning uh, records on. Seconds. Yes, I, I knew this movie like i knew the little and like i am like we talked about mother totally okay with unsubtle movies i knew i knew from like the first five minutes of this movie when the sookie waterhouse character uh the the camera lingers like three times on her hand and she has tattooed the letters <laughs> fear and that's the arm that gets amputated and i was like oh so she's <laughs> let go of her fear in this wasteland okay i get it i get what you're saying <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's a fucking mess, but I, I applaud that you enjoy it because we all have those messy fucking movies that we enjoy. So I'm happy for you that you enjoyed this movie. I thought it was just kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm on the same page as Ryan and in a way I kind of wish that I did hate this movie or have some kind of like strong reaction towards it because it is that kind of movie mm-hmm. that that's supposed to like get that kind of reaction out of you. And I, I certainly didn't hate it. Uh, I think the first 20 minutes, just like Ryan said, it's like when people aren't speaking and the first 20 minutes or 25 so minutes good. are very, it's almost like a silent film, isn't it? I don't yep. think there's that much. Except dialogue. for music, like Ace yeah. of Base. Ace yeah. of Pen, that's a great use of that <laughs> so song. So great. Yes. Uh, but anyway, like that, that was a terrific short film. Like it's, yep. it was like, it was scary and raw and uh, just, yes, the terrifying, uh, just this like uh, post-apocalyptic uh, desert cannibal movie, like short, short film almost. And that was great. Uh, and then, yeah, by the time you get to the, like kind of the over the top depiction of this, um, this world where it's just like the crazy Jodorowsky style. Like I understand that it's not as surreal as, no, as Jodorowsky, no. like you could you could follow what's going on in it. Um, the supporting uh, cast, especially like Jim Carrey and Keanu Reeves, are terrific. Uh, it's, Jim yes. Carrey is pretty much unrecognizable, and he's yeah. great. Uh, any scene that he's in, I'm like, I'm all for it. We have my hundred percent recommendation, especially the scene where he's like sketching uh, Jason Momoa. Yes. Right, uh, yes. that scene is so bizarre and so <laughs> like much fun but again like no dialogue in that scene either so it's like she has a uh kind of she has that touch of like she does a good job with mood especially Mm -hmm. but uh yeah she needs a lot of help with um honing her screenwriting skills for well, sure. I, think, I think she's a good she's writer the, like i mean right. girl she's, she's walks a writer home, exactly. girl walks home she's alone at night is a f- awesome movie like that's a really like tightly constructed movie and that, I think this one's just like you know, it's sloppier. It's um, what was it? Was it was it Jessica on the playlist? I think you told me this. Eric wrote like a review that was like, "Here's yes. Mad Max Fury Road, and then here's Southland Tales, and then here's like yes. somewhere find somewhere in the middle, and that's where the Bad Batch lies." And it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like that kind of mess where it's like it's not a it's total not as frustrating as Southland Tales. God no, 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 not but at I all. But I get why people hate it, like Southland Tales. Well, this and and then there are some people that are vehement like passionate fans of Southland Tales and I guess that's that is a comparison I want to make is like this is like a Southland Tales for me where I I like it in that way where I'm like why do why does anybody like Southland Tales that movie's awful right but yeah this is the kind of indulgent mess that has 
like a five minute drug tripping scene that is both terrible and hilarious to me. Like mm. once it went past the two minute mark where I was past being annoyed, I was like, oh, she's going to do a drug scene now. That's pretty boring. And mind you, I like this movie. And then <laughs> then it crosses a certain point and it goes three minutes longer. And I was like, OK, um, not like I applaud the audacity, but like she has no clue. But it's like uh, Anna Lily Amirpour, just like it's not about not giving a fuck. She doesn't have a clue. Like, why would you drag this on so long? But it's mm. it becomes it becomes like hilarious to me. Um but yeah, yeah, this this movie's a fucking glorious mess. Totally. And the reason I think the reason I don't hate it, like in the way that like I, I hate Southland Tales. Like I absolutely despise that so movie. Bad. It's terrible. And I think the only reason like one of the big reasons I think, despite this movie being messy, I think it's earnest. Like a movie like Southland yes. Tales is so far up its own ass. And smug. So, it's so smug and so like in love with itself that it's that it's totally infuriating. Agree. And this movie's like it's kind of sweet movie. in a weird way by it, the end, this movie. It is. I, I think it does reach a sweet conclusion. Although I'm this is It my doesn't wife. earn it, but no, it's but it but it's there. <laughs> and I'm gonna say this and my wife's not home to get mad at me for what I'm about to say. I don't think Jason Momo is a very good actor. I'm sorry. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I know people seem to really like him, and I, I have no disrespect for he's him. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he's a cool dude. But and he has a presence and charisma. But like as far as acting, yeah, no. Yeah, not not. I haven't <laughs> been the biggest fan. And so, it, so again, it's it's that presence. Like he's got his a presence. greatest work was in Baywatch Nights. Oh dear God. <laughs> well, uh, it's that presence, right? When he's not speaking, and you just like have to like you know gaze on his face like he he can hold his own it's when the dialogue starts for just about anything in this movie it's just that is the one <laughs> the one last thing i'll add is the gaze of this movie i'm glad you said that word because that's another thing i think is actually kind of subversive and rare and really well done in this movie is this is such a female gaze heavy movie think yeah. about that opening 20 minutes when jason momoa and the muscle guys it's all dick shots and butt shots like not in a joel schumacher like homoerotic way this is this is heterosexual female gaze like mm. full on and i i loved it i loved that and it's it kind of goes i know you away. did <laughs> shush <laughs> Uh, it goes away as the movie expands and becomes more ridiculous, but I appreciated that. It's like, you got her, like, that's what she's going to keep adding as she keeps mm. making movies. I hope this, I don't think this will put her in director jail, like Richard Kelly, no, no. South End Tales. She'll be okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie guys, is just this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's this some, fucking movie. That's this... a good way to. <laughs> it, ex it, it exists no i i would i would <laughs> i would recommend it honestly even though i think it's a mess i think if if anyone is interested in seeing it like see it for yourself and make up your own mind um yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, would, I, would, I would give Easy it like a okay yeah i would i would kind of give it like a mild recommendation to especially for people who are into that kind of daring uh messy but earnest you know, and if you like weed, cinema. smoke it and then watch this movie. Yes. It's a good oh, yeah. combination. It'll, it'll, it'll help. <laughs> it'll help big time. For sure. Speaking of daring, messy, awesome movies, Octe, what's your yes. number one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're finally here. Yes. Uh, my, my number one underrated is also my number one film of the year. Is, uh, it's Gore Verbinski's so yeah. uh, um, just batshit crazy gorgeous uh messy but also at the same time like 
super contained uh, horror epic that like mixes five, six different horror subgenres into one movie while also creating this um, brutal uh, takedown on capitalism and how self-destructive blind ambition and greed can be uh, in a movie that's basically like a throwback to old universal monster movies with the mad scientist on top of a hill in the castle. But in the middle of all that, you get this really like gonzo, no fucks given, like almost like giallo surrealist approach to um, the mystery in the center of the movie. You get this like lucid nightmare, like Lynchy and lucid nightmare. Uh, you get a kind of, um, a uh, pretty traditional uh, horror mystery that like really kind of pays off at the end. And you get one of the most um, delightfully fucked up endings of any uh, studio film of many a moon that I can, um, I can think of at least on this scale, like, you know, we can go back to mother and all that, but um yeah, this this movie has uh, gripped me ever since you, Ryan. You said you were just like talking about like I can't believe the studio made this movie and stuff. And I'm a big fan of Gore Verbinski's, and I think we both are. And I was like, okay, then now I need to like really go and uh, make it a point to check it out. And then after that, like I watched it again and again and again. Like I watched it like this is the movie that I watched the most. And this is not a short movie at all. It's it's about like two hours and twenty minutes. Um, but yeah, it's it's it just gripped me in a way that a lot of other movies hasn't. And ever since it's released in February or ever since I saw it in like, I think, April or something, it has been just like quietly sneaking up on my um, top 10 list. And this is a film that I feel like it is so unique and unusual in the way that it, it just puts all these genres and all these tones and all these things in a blender and just like, whips him up and like something really beautiful and and interesting and gripping comes out of it which is kind of a miracle on its own but um i know it's it's i'm rambling but this is the kind of movie that like gets that kind of uh <laughs> rambling response because it's really really hard to like just pinpoint and say say that like this is what it's like and this is why you should see it it's just uh it's one of those films that i'm like i as much as i love it i understand if someone's reaction to it is like yeah that was a piece of shit what the hell was going what why would you recommend that to me and i'd be <laughs> like yeah i understand that reaction but at the same time i would be very surprised if anybody who sees it is gonna like forget it the yep. experience anytime soon um so anyway i'll just open it up to you guys uh what do you what do you think about that i saw you before you a patient here She's just so much younger than everyone else. Director Volma says I'm a special case. Yeah, well, Octay showed me this movie in one of his those countless uh, repeat viewings that he referred to. I, I got to see it at, at his house. And um, I'd been meaning to catch up with it. Same deal. There was like a trigger effect of Ryan liking it and then Octay liked it. And I missed it because, unfortunately, nobody went to see this movie. And mm. um, that's, that's the thing most important thing I think we can all get across is like people should seek this movie out because it's a future cult movie for sure. Oh, and yeah. another give it like, example, give it like five, five, six years. This is going to oh, be yeah. like rediscovered as it's like, 
what the people fuck? are gonna how be like, what this? The, yeah. how did this get released with this budget and the studio? Totally. So um, I think it's gorgeously made. I think Gore Verbinski is a really talented filmmaker that's also made a lot of big poppy crap, but he's also made good pop as well. You know, like I think Mouse Hunt is a kind of a rad movie. And uh, what's their anime? Rango. He, he's a good filmmaker. I like this guy. And The Weatherman. We did, the we- I haven't seen that one. Oh, oh that's you should. <laughs> I should. Yeah, yeah, I definitely yeah. should. And love the visuals in this movie. I think this Dane DeHaan is made up for being in so terrible in Valerian uh, that he's perfect in this movie. This is how you cast Dane DeHaan. This is yeah. the right role for this guy. And um, yeah, man, this movie's crazy. And I didn't, it kept escalating in a way where I was like, get the fuck out. Is this what's happening? You know, and it just keeps going in that. It just keeps going. That shit. And, and the, um, the, I think the visuals speak yeah. to the story in a way that I found really impressive. So sorry, Octa. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was a point where, like, yeah, just like that, I was just like, is this keeps escalating? This keeps going like this. And then I looked at the uh, the info button on the the Blu-ray player, and there was still like an hour to go. And <laughs> yeah. it, it where, it, where it reaches a point where most movies it would be like the batshit crazy climax of a movie, and it just keeps escalating to a point where you get to the last fifteen minutes of this um, of the movie, and you're like, what producer or executive? read these pages and greenlit this movie like it's like god bless that dude but at the same time i'm like were you like trying to like sabotage your own job because of like some kind of insurance scam or something like a like a uh like a the producers kind of situation yeah well is that I... what happened like they, they read this the script and they're like this is perfect for us to like do this insurance scam because this is insane well i mean verbinski still has fuck you money like those yeah. Three Pirates movies he made made like a billion and a half, two billion dollars combined back when movies weren't making as much worldwide. Like those movies were massive, massive successes. Yep. And I think people tend to forget how well those movies did. And so he still has some weight to throw around. And so he gets to make weird shit like this. And it's unfortunate it didn't pan out on a financial level. I was fortunate enough to go see this in the theater. Um, it's one of the most enjoyable times I had at a theater this year, strictly because it, it's so moody. The score by ben, Benjamin mm-hmm. Walfish is my Beautiful. favorite score of the year. It's phenomenal. Yes. I've listened to it like just isolated, like multiple, multiple times. This it's year. haunting. It's so like haunting the, and beautiful. Yeah. Like it feels like it would be in an Argento movie or something. Like it's it's mm-hmm. like that perfect. It's like yeah, it's it's incredible. And this had you not picked it uh probably it would have been my number one underrated but i wanted to get some other titles in here also i have to point out i read uh there was a good av club article um earlier this year i think about the time john wick 2 came out and it was talking about how like the action in that movie how we finally moved away from like the quick cutting Michael Bay influenced action movies that had dominated for like 20 years, but the article started, I have some beef and and this is what I'm getting to on it is that they're like, uh, you know, some music video directors like, or hack directors have had successful careers like Brett Ratner, Mick G, bloody Bob, bloody Bob, Gore Verbinski. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa, no. Whoa, back the fuck off. <laughs> like, <laughs> Don't lump him in the same category as Mick G and Brett Ratner. Like this guy's, he's a visionary. I think like, even the Pirates mm-hmm. movies, and we mentioned this on our episode, too, like, even though those movies, I don't really like any of those movies, but there's some weird-ass shit in those movies that I, like, uh-huh. really appreciate that I could tell Yeah, you, you and I talked about it on, in detail, Ryan, and people can check that out on our uh, Weatherman and Pirates of the Caribbean episode, where, yeah, it's like, even as, like, shitty whatever uh, Hollywood big 
big like Johnny Depp movies have some really weird off kilter stuff in them. Mm-hmm. So does Lone Ranger. So like he's yeah he's clearly even though he's made like poppy crap as Eric said he's he's still like a talented filmmaker who made some poppy crap. So there's some yep. interesting stuff within and, it. And I, and we we see what he can do when he's just given full, full reign full reign on... to do whatever he wants. No, I think this movie is incredible it's beautiful it's it's haunting as you said it's gorgeously shot um mm-hmm. and and i think that's like it's got sly verhovian satire in it like and, yeah, it, and if and it if does. it uh and if that was yeah, the anti-capitalist satire it has that like playful yep. verhovian uh edge to it which is mm-hmm. so bizarre that a movie with like such a like ran almost random gonzo surrealist like giallo approach to it's like and this, this is like a it's it's not like as far as like the gore or the blood is concerned or whatever it's not really that extreme but like the manner in which the violence happens in this movie is like is insane <laughs> that it's mm-hmm. it's in an american studio film film like that absolutely uh especially you know one certain scene that you know i'm sure all, all of us are thinking about that involves yeah. some sea creatures. Um, oh God! <laughs> Dude, yeah, that shit will it's, never leave. It's, it's, yeah, it's it. That will. Uh, there's be... also a scene with some teeth pulling that I remember uh, being. Uh, or, no teeth drilling, drilling. was. Yes. Jesus yep. Christ! <laughs> movie goes yeah, nuts, it, man. It, it goes to those places, but it does all of that stuff, and it's just. But at the same time, it somehow manages to contain this very pointed. And playful satire against um, greed. Uh, it's uh, against greed and against like the the kind of income inequality and people who are basically like, uh, you know, it opens with Dane DeHaan like kind of looking down uh, from the top of the skyscraper down on people and like the, those people are all ants. Like just, um, uh, uh, you know, they can just be discarded. They're just discardable. You know, they just they just points on a on a like mathematical points or something like that uh, and then like to the irony of like what those types of people end up with as end up as in this like mad scientist experiment the whole thing comes full circle and you start to understand that like no matter how ruthless and greedy and driven as you might be there's always going to be someone who's a lot more like intense than you and if it's all about like the bigger fish eats the smaller fish, there will always be a bigger fish than you. And if you just like put your entire stock, your entire life into this kind of life lifestyle, then eventually the bigger fish is gonna come and eat you, and all you're gonna be end up is fish poop. You know. <laughs> uh, so it's it has like yeah, uh, it, it it manages to condense that kind of like really contemporary um criticism of that kind of uh uh life philosophy uh in a way that like you know these these types of films that deal with these types of like you know wolf of wall street type characters uh it's usually the criticism is usually directly pointed at like how much damage they're doing to people around them and this is one of those films where i think this is the first time i've seen a film like this where it's like it's about how it's it goes inward. It's about like how self destructive and pointless the whole endeavor can be in the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's 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 a fascinating, weird. I mean, like, and just aside from all of that stuff, it is a, a tremendously entertaining genre piece. Aside from all of that stuff. 
you know, if you put those aside and it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's great, man. Absolutely. Uh, Please watch it. Like you, I've seen it three times, I think at this point. So like, yeah, it gets better. It does. Yeah. It's totally rewatchable and, and it doesn't feel long either. And yeah, it's almost a two and a half hour long movie. Yeah, so uh, you're number one, Ryan. Well, in keeping in line with our uh, number ones that seem to be indulgent movies, um, (laughs) my number one is Trainspotting 2. Choose a zero-hour contract and a two-hour journey to work and choose the same for your kids, only worse. And maybe tell yourself it's better that they never happened. And then sit back and smother the pain with an unknown dose of an unknown drug made in somebody's fucking kitchen. Choose unfulfilled promise and wishing you'd done it all differently. Choose never learning from your own mistakes. Choose watching history repeat itself. Choose the slow reconciliation towards what you can get rather than what you always hoped for. Settle for less and keep a brave face on it. Choose disappointment. Because I refuse to call it T2 Train Spotting. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I think it's a terrible title, and that's really the only thing I don't like about this movie. There's only one T2, and that's it. Yes, exactly. Um, I think this movie is a fascinating piece of self-reflection and anti-nostalgia. Um, in a way, I feel like in a way, Danny Boyle, so his movie, not his last movie, cause that was Steve jobs, but his movie before that trance. So trance marked the first time he worked with Andrew McDonald, the producer and John Hodge, Joel Hodge, the direct, uh, writer, uh, John since Hodge. John Hodge, thank you. Since, uh, life less ordinary, I think was like the, the dead, uh, Boyle's first three movies together, shallow grave, train spotting and life less ordinary and worked again, again. Hadn't worked again until Trance, and Trance was a movie that was seen like uh, it, it was sort of like my like Baby Driver critique. Like I liked Trance a lot, but I think people there was like, oh, this feels like a like a regression. Like it feels like a younger person's movie. Like they're first starting out, especially because that movie is visually well done as it is, does not hold up on future viewings. It kind of collapses Ooh. like a house of cards, and so like, but that movie had such like an overwhelming style to it like overwhelming even for danny boyle like it was one of his most like sensory overload films and so i feel like returning with Trainspotting 2 returning to these characters with the same people he made the first train spotting with with that similar style i feel like he's sort of putting his own like nostalgia under a microscope a little bit, but also the nostalgia for the characters. Cause this movie, as so many like films are super nostalgic as like bad movies, like Jurassic world, like that's a bad nostalgic movie. They're like, you're yes. nostalgia for this kind of movie. So we're just going to give you that kind of movie. But in, in Transpotting two, these characters are nostalgic for a time and place that they may have thought was great, but it's like, Oh, you were heroin junkies. Like it's not as great as you remember it. And I feel like this movie, like, it it ends pretty sadly. Like, it it ends, like, Mm -hmm. these characters, like, now in their 40s, they're kind of pathetic, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Like, they're really, like, pathetic. And, like, their ideas are, like, their their ideas to, like, rip money off are still like they were in their 20s. Like, they're kind of dumb still. And I, I find that fascinating. Like, I found that really to be that these characters are still stuck in that place and that maybe the place and time that you thought was good, uh, maybe isn't so good and maybe you shouldn't go back there. And I feel like that's a (laughs) big part of this movie. And I thought that was a really like fascinating, 
thing to deal with, and I didn't expect that, I guess. And so I know, like, people talked up Blade Runner 2049. It's on my top ten. I love that movie a lot. But to me, I was like, there was another, like, decade-late sequel that was pretty strong this year. And uh, <laughs> and I I, I thought Trade Flight 2 was good. I know someone here also wasn't, wasn't <laughs> someone i don't remember i don't remember Fockty liked it but eric i remember you not liking this movie very much yeah yeah i i'll say this though listening to you talk about it makes me want to give it a chance another time you know down the road because i just like danny boyle in general even when he misses i still tend to i always see everything he puts out <clears throat> and i guess when i think about it i mean this movie came out in the spring and i guess what i'm amazed by at this point like yes i i wasn't like a huge fan of it um i didn't hate the experience but i actually don't really remember the movie all that well i can remember certain images and sequences i remember certain things that drove me nuts like some of the like they sing at one scene and there's like um emoji imagery on the screen i don't know man there's some there's <laughs> they, some they do like something with like snap, snapchat fin yes filters, yes man. some goofy shit in this movie but danny boyle is playful that's what he does and Sometimes you you go with it, and sometimes it rubs you the wrong way. But um, other than that, I'm a little shocked by how almost forgettable this movie was for me. But um, again, I think it's an awesome number one underrated pick for that reason. Like you've actually made me want to look at it again because maybe I just saw it when I wasn't really down to see the movie that it is. Maybe I, I don't know. But um, love the original Transpotting, obviously. But uh, this one is going to need a revisit for me. I think. Um, but yeah, you've you've definitely spurred my interest again. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's it it does have its issues, and I wasn't like a huge fan of it. But I'm I'm kind of in between uh, there. Um, I understand why you or I spoke to a couple of other critics who were just like big um, defenders of it. I understand why that happens as well. But uh, it's it's a, it, it has some issues. I'm like it bizarrely turns into like a. Um, like almost like a slasher film in the last twenty minutes. It's 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 like it's got the weird. sunshine ending. Yes, it's but I like I yeah, like that sunshine ending. Yeah, yeah, I, which which bugs me in sunshine too. <laughs> I liked it here though, because like I actually like I feel like a couple things I really like about this movie. Also, number one, the first movie we saw literally everything from Renton's perspective. Like he he yeah. was our guide through the story, and so yeah. I thought it was fascinating in this movie to kind of give equal time to all the characters and like kind of understand all of them um, with like, and get their own unique perspective. That thing I, that was something I really took. And so like, it is like corny as it may be like, it it gets that slasher ending, but it's like, you know, there's that back and forth between Renton and Begbie. And it's like, I believe that like, I totally like we've built up Mm. this relationship with these characters. I I, I like the first time they had the, to, to in the bathroom oh it's so yeah, good. The good that was, that <laughs> so was really good. funny uh, uh but yeah it goes to these like it's it's yeah it's totally kind of a little bit all over the place i love the maybe not the whole experience as a whole but i love sections of it i love that section about like how they rip off um these people again going back to the themes of like living in the past who are like stuck in this like catholic battle that happened in like the 17th century or some shit like that right it's it was yeah, something yeah. like that all their debit and card they, pin the, numbers were, the, were the, the year yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was brilliant um but what i really appreciate about this movie is that it's kind of it kind of trolls its audience a little bit uh it's, <laughs> yes <laughs> it's uh the pretty much like 
people agree that pretty much the only reason this exists is because like of the resurgence of like 90s nostalgia that we're going through right now but it is a film that exists because of that reason but at the same time it's a film that kind of shows like how pathetic and lame uh just living squarely in the past can be Mm -hmm. uh so it's almost like telling the audience who are like coming back to see like we're gonna see train spotting because remember the 90s we all loved train spotting and life was so simple back then and then sitting (laughs) down and and then sitting down like that crowd sitting down and seeing a movie that says like stop being like sad and pathetic people and like look forward like move forward well there's the scene yeah there's the past and that's what you're gonna and then the final shot of this movie i think is brilliant because of the way that it's like it it solidifies the theme of like yes these people are stuck now like like what are you gonna do at like age 45 when you're back to living like as if you're like 21 years old you're just you're just like that might have been like exciting and invigorating and all that stuff it's just pathetic now it is <laughs> like that's and that's what i think is like and the movie is like i think it's funny and it's entertaining and it's energetic the way danny boyle makes his movies but i also like there's this just underlying theme of sadness to the movie that i like i felt was just poignant i mean it's evident in there's another uh choose life monologue in this movie um mm. but like you know the original train spotting opens with it and there's like a it, there there's an irony to it like the way he says it is just like a it's like a punk statement in the first movie mm. it's just like oh you know fuck you fuck the establishment so it's like we're we're mocking that and then, like, he has this choose life monologue in this movie, and he's like, he's like bitter. Like, the things that are brought up, it's just like, oh, like, wish I would have done this, wish I would have done that. Like, I'm bitter about life now. Um, and yeah, I just, I found a lot of that, like, again, surprising. As much as I love Boyle and am excited to see what he does, I was really skeptical when I remember it was on the Mark Marin podcast about the time Steve Jobs came out. He's like, Oh, next movie's train spotting too. And I was like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, and then, then I went and saw it at the now defunct guild 45th in Seattle. Rest in peace. Um, I know it's sad, but, um, and it was and I, like, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I wish I could have found a spot for it in my top 10 at the end of the year, but, with so many good movies, it would have been as indulgent as this movie itself. So I just couldn't quite <laughs> put it on there, but I, I love this movie nonetheless. And, and I think like you, Eric, a lot of people forgot about it or they slept. Yeah. on it. They just kind of yeah. like, like a train spotting sequel. Uh, who cares? And I was Which like, is weird, right? <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's the audience that should watch this movie. The audience yeah. who, who are like the audience that's like fucking train spotting after 20 plus years. Like who gives a shit? Like this is lame. That's such a lame idea. Though that's the audience that should watch the movie because the movie agrees with you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I found that fascinating. And I just like I love how Boyle's still evolving his style. I like that he still I like that he used that style from trance, but it was in service of both a, a story that does hold up on a second viewing <laughs> that where trance doesn't. And mm-hmm. and it just and it's kind of fitting for 2017. As dumb as you may have found the Instagram filter thing that they added, which I could agree is goofy but it also feels like purposeful at the same time part of the point yeah Yeah. well just the way that like we're so innovated with these things in our face all the time constantly quick cutting it just like i don't know it fit it fit the narrative in a way that it didn't bother me but like i do remember that like specific shot i was like that's fucking weird okay (laughs) (laughs) all right danny do do your thing um but yeah um 
yes oil gonna boil right boil's gonna boil and i am always (laughs) down for that so there's no arguments there um well Uh, wow guys we made it through we made it through should we we should probably start wrapping this up what do you guys think (laughs) yes before i pass out on my computer (laughs) exactly (laughs) no kidding (laughs) um so that was our year-end episode we hope you enjoyed our our two-part year-end episode. You were at the end of the second part listening to this. Uh, we have to, uh, of course, thank the playlist and thank Rodrigo Perez for for hosting us. Um, and you can check us out at theplaylist.net. You can subscribe to the Playlist podcast feed on iTunes or SoundCloud. And you get this podcast, Adjust Your Tracking, Bingeworthy, uh, the Playlist podcast, and all of our other shows. You could like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter at OverUnderMovies. Uh, I think that's all the plugging. Octa, you plugged your picks last time. Um, oh yeah, let, let's do it again. We're going to be in the middle of. Um, the, uh, we're going to be at the beginning of like the award season, so it's going to be good timing to talk about some uh, Oscar Best Picture winners that I think are underrated, which are um, uh, uh, F. W. Murnau's uh, Sunrise, which technically is the first Best Picture winner. We'll get into that. Nineteen uh, fifty. 1950- 55's Marty and also 1945 I think best picture winner uh Billy Wilder's The Lost Weekend. So um yeah, check out that episode if you're into uh Oscar history. Looking forward to when that happens. So uh we'll wrap things up here signing off. I'm Ryan Oliver. I am the co-host of this podcast as well as the Normal Playlist podcast. And signing off, I'm Eric McClanahan. I am the normal co-host of Adjust Your Tracking. We've been putting out episodes weekly, so check in to that playlist podcast feed. we got lots of good content on that feed right now, so um, come follow us there. Yeah, and I'm Octavia Kozak, uh, as you know, co-host of uh, Over Under Movies and also contributor and film critic for Pace Magazine, uh, theplaylist.net, uh, DVD Talk, and bayasparada.com. Well, thank you for listening for our, to our super long episode. And have a safe, <laughs> have a safe and happy holidays, happy new year, and we look forward to seeing or, or you guys listening to us in 2018. So, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.